to the last three rows of horror podcast. Mike here with somebody that just did something in his pants. That would be Big Cell. And Shotgun oh, Sam! <laughs> Reporting for duty. Motherfucker. <laughs> click, click. The are, you, are you guys going to do that? You know, it was bad enough that the dumbass kid did the terrifier to me. Now he's going to do the gunshot. God <laughs> yeah. damn it. I knew you were waiting for it since God. last episode. Yeah, so right. there it is. Right off the bat. Right Kablamo. off the bat. <laughs> wow. Big Sal just. Oh, Folks, we are back with the uh, Conjuring Universe Part 4, the Amityville Lutz Haunting. We're going to be talking all about that, uh, George Lutz and his family, and uh, probably talk about some of the films. But first, we've got a convention report. The three of us, we went to Flashback Weekend in Rosemont, Illinois. Uh, we had a great time up there. We really spread the word about the podcast we handed out stickers and we got to remind you come on we're on facebook instagram itunes spotify we're probably even on other platforms that we don't even know about uh, i think like stitcher uh there might be an apple uh, i mean uh what is it the fucking amazon one i forget what they call theirs but i think uh, yeah it's we're, we're available on like seven platforms or something yeah. so just google us you'll find us but uh we uh, we met. Uh, Let us Brick. get up all in your RSS feed. Yeah, we. Uh, Whatever the fuck we, uh, that means. We uh, <laughs> no, we met Richard Brake. There's a, a cool little video of him and Cell on uh, the Instagram. Yeah, so it's awesome. Go check that out. Be sure to look for that one. I'll, I'll put it on Facebook as well. Yeah, that's my guy. But uh, we took in a couple Q and A panels, and we went to one. It was the Nick D podcast. For those of you who don't know, uh, Nick D, Nick D Virgilio was a radio dj on wgn i think he's on wls now but uh they're doing they were recording his podcast at the convention and uh everyone got up on the mic and was saying what their favorite horror movie was well big Sal got up there and he said his favorite horror movie and what he thought was the most dis two disturbing horror movies and then he plugged. Yeah, he didn't say the the, he didn't say the scariest. He did what he always does, and then he went disturbing. Yes, <laughs> I love it. The I most disturbing. I don't well, care. well, you did you did say The Exorcist. Yeah, I did say The Exorcist. But yes, you called oh, yeah. Serbian film Siberian. My bad. Film. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But the Siberian film. <laughs> but while you were up there, you plugged the last three rows of horror, and ooh, <laughs> yeah, he didn't like I that. don't <laughs> think Nick D appreciated that. You can actually hear this if you download that uh, episode's <laughs> podcast of the Nick D podcast. It's the Flashback Weekend episode. And about 30 minutes in, you exactly can hear... Exactly 30 minutes, yeah. You could hear Cell uh, promote us, and then Nick D says, wait a minute, you're promoting your podcast on my podcast? And he goes, okay, what's the name? He says, Last Three Rows of Horror. He says it about okay. three times. He says, okay, everybody rate and review and tell them that they suck. Oh, that's, that's all hilarious. right, because I'm pretty sure that he says it wrong. What did he say? The last review of horror something, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he said it wrong. Because that was all fucked up on Heron that day. Heron. I was. <laughs> I was. Me and, me and Clan were doing Heron, and there you go. Heron and yeah. double bacon cheeseburgers. Hello. Right? Hello. <laughs> he was mainlining those uh, steak quesadillas. You know what? I, I got to tell you two guys, I had all intentions of doing that. And then, and then, of course, my two guys, Mike and, and Sammy C, fucking said, "Go do it." And I, I discussed a little of this with my daughter-in-law. I didn't even know what was happening until you were up. Oh, I thought I told you. So, so, oh man, there goes my brain again. So, so I told my daughter-in-law the story, and she was, "Dad, you can't do that." And I go, "Well, you know, I wasn't trying to hurt anybody, or you know me, I'm trying to be a nice guy, but I had to plug it." 
Of, absolutely, of course you know, we had to. You know, I wasn't was trying. Awesome. And, I, and, and it fuck yeah, we start a controversy. Who gives a shit? Right, right. And, and you know, I'm that guy. That's how we roll. You know, I I, I told Cleon, he started laughing. He said, "Go leave us some reviews that say we suck." That would be a fucking. <laughs> we would love awesome. your suck we would, reviews. Would yeah. awesome. and, leave and, us some suck fest reviews. And, 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 and we're the what? suckers of the supernatural <laughs> for this, this want, conjuring hey, series. Hey, Remember that. Hey, you want to tell us that we suck? You want to tell us anything? A ghost story? Email us. Yeah, Sam. What's the email? Last three rows of horror at gmail.com or super suckers of the supernatural right. at fuck yourself right. dot mom. I don't know. Because, <laughs> mom. because we've always said we've always said if you don't like us, go ahead and tell us. You're not gonna hurt our feelings. We're, I'm still gonna I'm never gonna change. You're gonna hurt my yeah. feelings. I'm so sensitive. Yeah, my nephew just told me at lunch, you know, sometimes you need to evolve. Shit, I wanna be Cleon. I wanna evolve the other way. Fuck you. <laughs> Backwards? Yeah. I wanna be a gorilla. <laughs> You're, you're on your way. <laughs> actually, 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 I watched that movie. I told you two guys about that turnt movie, and the guy's nickname, or the guy's actual name, was Rilla. And I'm thinking about changing my name legally to Rilla. Rilla. And, and my first name would be G, so it'd be G Rilla. G Rilla. Yeah, makes sense. It should be G Zilla. <laughs> it, it, it could be like a hip hop name too. Do you know how to rap? No, yeah, I, no, I, at no, Christmas I, no. I I rapped. Oh, you mean rap rap? Like, <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't even I can't even talk right. Let My name is Tell, and I'm here. Yeah, to say. I was gonna say it's, it's, it's early '80s. <laughs> I can only do. I did it for the nookie. I take it for the goodie. You know, do it whatever. We, we got to hear self freestyle. Well, my name is Sal, and I'm here to say that I love bacon cheeseburgers in the most way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the steak fajitas come second. <laughs> Oh, but man. I don't want to heckin'. I don't want so, about the convention. One of these days, folks, you're going to see us up on that stage doing our podcast. I, I hope guarantee so, man. you. I guarantee you. I gonna, hope so. I really want to do it. We We're gotta, coming for that job, Nick D. That's right. Yeah. Eventually. By the way, there's only one Nicky D, and he's Nicky Diamonds because right, his personality is right, Diamonds. Right. It's not only the water he drinks. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but you know what, though? I, 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 you know, I heard a lot of people say their favorite scary scene, but. You know what? In my mind, still, what uh, I can't believe scared the shit out of me, and it was at the end. Was Carrie when when her when she when her arm came out of the grave? gonna laugh at you, dude. That fucking We're gonna laugh at you. I was yeah. a little surprised. There was what like a six seven year old kid who got up there and said the original black yeah. and white thing. Holy yeah, cow. that was yeah. that still has one of the most craziest fire effects I've right. ever seen. And at right. the end, right, they are just spraying this fucking stuntman with fire. Yeah, when that little dude said that, I'm, I, I it brought me back because. I was so small when I started watching horror, man. I really was. Yep. I don't even think I know how to fucking talk it or, or that, fucking. The original wasn't called the thing, right? It was called the thing from outer space. Yeah, yeah the thing yeah. from outer space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Still a very cool answer. Howard Magnif Hawks. Magnificent yeah. movie. Magnificent. Mm -hmm. and, and and as Mikey says, he loves the remake, uh, Carpenter's remake, which is fucking Kurt oh, Russell, yeah. my guy. Absolutely. You know, Escape from New York. One of my York. favorites of all time. Yeah. Big trouble. Yeah. Big trouble. Yeah. What, did, what, did, what did you say, Mike, about the dog? <laughs> oh, my favorite line from uh, Carpenter's The Thing is when uh, the dogs are going nuts and Kurt Russell comes in with a flamethrower and uh, the one dude, uh, I can't think of the actor's name, Richard something goes up to me and goes i don't know what it is but it's weird and pissed off <laughs> richard mazer richard mazer i think yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> oh my god so, by the way was uncredited in blood and blood out richard mazer really it was in blood and blood out yeah he was the librarian in the prison oh okay yeah. okay blood and blood out yeah i saw that i don't think we talked about that recently good uh, movie yeah. though good oh, good it. movie my yeah. favorite prison yeah. film where i think we do, we do need to do a prison best prison film episode yeah we'll get to that 
Also, maybe like you know, in the next couple of weeks, maybe we'll do a best prison episode. Yeah, well, take another, a little break from the horror. Another break in horror. Another break. I'd like to take. I want to cover the whole uh, career filmography of the director Alexander Payne, who makes great dark comedies. All right, and we'll list them all off. You guys look him up. You'll know who I'm talking about. Like, like, like what, Mikey? Just I wonder. Sideways, two. Citizen Ruth, About Schmidt, Nebraska. Okay. Good movies. Some really good ones. Okay. So oh, I want to also give a shout out to uh, my friends who uh, came to the convention as well. Uh, my friend Sarah was her first convention, so Sarah. Yeah. yeah, she made some awesome T-shirts for yeah, us. Yeah, wow. she did. Absolutely. She's awesome. I thanked her for that, Mikey. Yeah, she uh, she had a good time. And then uh, John McLaughlin, who we've had on the show, <laughs> he his podcast is back up and running. Horror at Home. Uh, you can also find them on YouTube. Horror at Home <laughs> podcast. Like what? what why, did, why were you making fun of his shirt? What did it say? <laughs> oh, it's from the Revenge of the Nerds. The hot was it? Uh, uh, Hotel Coral Essex with the lights broken. Hot oral sex <laughs> yeah. from Revenge of the Nerds Part Two. Nerds in Paradise. And hey, he we was, gave stickers having... to Robert Carradine and yes, yes. Uh, Ogre. Yes, yes. Oh, Robert he Carradine. Looked, Don Gibbs. He looked exactly like you think he would look. Oh like. my god! <laughs> but just big ass Santa beard. But Carradine, I gave him a sticker. I gave him a couple stickers. And dude, he looked like he was just from totally from the 60s, 70s. He had real long hair. He looked more like his dying brother, David Carradine. <laughs> he's already he's dead, but I'm saying he, he didn't look and, good. And no. Ogre, Ogre was cool. Yeah, Donald he, Gibb. Like Sammy said, he was just he he it was still him. a big guy it was still it was him and said he still looked like he was in character mm. and he was so cool man he oh, was yeah. so he, you know i gave him the stickers he goes oh this is awesome this is awesome. he still had the earring in his ear <laughs> blood sport <laughs> me and sal were talking we like to go to the conventions for some cool merch too yeah awesome yeah. merch they had, I, uh, I bought some shirts and some stickers yeah nice. they they oh it was so funny there, magnet. They, there there was you know because because uh obviously i'm a, a tiny bit overweight uh, I need a four, five, or a six. And do you caught that right, Sammy? Tiny, tiny bit overweight. Um, uh, he's not saying anything. What about, <laughs> what about it? So, 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 it was very hard for me to get shirts. But it was funny because I, I really wanted. I can't remember what shirt it was, and they didn't have it in my size. And Sammy knew right away. I picked pumpkin head. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Goes, Sal said, do you have any tablecloths with pumpkin head <laughs> painted on it? A moo moo? Yeah. And, but I'll tell you. They... Does this stretch? <laughs> <laughs> Can't put it in a dryer. Oh, so, so it was funny because the girl, the, the, there was like a little girl and, and a couple of their like moms or aunts or something that were running at the uh, table. And the one girl had to hold it up to me. She goes, I'm pretty sure this will fit you. I think it was a... <laughs> That's better than, didn't you say last year? You were like, oh, excuse me, sir, can I see if that fits me? And he's like, no. No. We you don't put want, it on, you buy it. We don't want your stank on it. <laughs> That's almost as funny as the guy who sold you the August Underground DVD and then oh, called God. you sick. No, no, no. That was Serbian film. Oh, a Serbian yeah. film. <laughs> you mean Siberian? Right. Siberian film, Mikey. So get it right. You get it right. <laughs> uh, I don't care. I just nice. don't fucking care. You know what? I gotta start. You know, I gotta start changing my I don't care attitude. But why? Why should I? Why should I? I was talking to Cleon about. You're gonna get canceled. It. You're gonna get us canceled. You, you know what I did? You know, you know, did I tell you guys? And, and this should be for Uncle Sal's school time, but I don't care. I, 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 I was telling Cleon some of the shit that happened. You know what he did? Mm. And I'm like, and, and I knew he was behind me all the way. He always is. And I was happy he did that. I was glad he gave me that, that okay. That Fantastic. it's okay to be as 
you know, brain scanned as, as my little coconut it can get. Because I don't give a shit. I really don't. But but I will say one thing. You sound like you're arguing with yourself. Yes. I was. Yeah. But but Cleon lighten it up. But let me tell you something. Now that Sammy brought up the merchandise, uh, I was a little disappointed that that guy wasn't there with the jackets and the shirts where I got my escape from New York. Because that, that guy had some good shit. Uh, I, I maybe had my, he'll be at Days of the Dead. Yeah, I had I had I had, that's where I bought my Phantasm coat. And then uh I did buy a new um poster of phantasm it was really excellent i'm sorry uh two i actually bought and it was really excellent excellently made uh one had a 3d effect uh i don't know if i showed it to you mike uh john liked it he's like oh man what is that and so and then uh my guy pinhead holy crap man between him and critters every other table had had pinhead oh, or everybody had critters everybody <laughs> so so i go to sammy and they're either like, these are $10 or $10,000. I handcrafted these. Everybody handmakes yeah. a shit. Oh, that guy wanted like 40 or 80. No, like, Mike, Why? seriously. And like an, like the idiot that I am, Sammy had to point out to me, he goes, he goes, hey, Unc, did you notice that all these guys hand painted or handmade these uh, uh, critter guys? And seriously, Mikey, I went to at least three tables that had the exact same one and the exact same line. Yeah, I handcrafted that. I pulled the hair out of my ass and put it on. Yeah, it. right. It's like it's it's funny, though, with Sally's like he picks it up. He's like, oh, this is fucking awesome. You made this. And the guy like tells him the whole story. And then Sal's like, how much? And the guy goes, four hundred and fifty dollars. And you just hear. And Sal walks away. Oh, he just drops it on the table and walks away from the guy. <laughs> no, they, they, they asked for way too much. Yeah, I did. I did, dude. I just like I saw this one Sal guy. also treats it like a swap meet. He's like, the guy's, he's like, oh, yeah, how much for this? 40 bucks? Sal's like, I'll give you 25. The guy's like 30. And he's 27. Yeah, you barter. The barter system. Listen well, I, here, Gypsy. This one guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Is this made from your gypsy tears? Oh, this one guy was selling blankets. They were like nice looking like Afghan blankets. And he had one. Yeah. He, he had a, a King Diamond blanket. I'm like, dude, how much? He's like 80. I'm like, I'll give you 40. He's like, no. I'm like, well, then you don't have a deal. Bye. Did, did you did you see Sammy? Sammy pointed out first. Did you see uh, Heather Lincolnkamp's uh, line? She had a decent sized one. First, first of all, she had a decent one, Michael. Because mm -hmm. Sammy's like, uh, "Hey, Uncle, you going in there?" I said, "You know, I, I, I should, I should," because she's such a sweetheart of a girl. And then Sammy and I, uh, I said, "Hey, hey, buddy, my my knees and my back are killing me." So we uh, we chilled a little out in the lobby and came back. Her line was out the door, out the door, man. Mm -hmm. Holy shit! You know what? Yeah. I, I gotta yeah. tell you, I gotta tell you, her line was longer than than uh, than uh, Freddie's. Robert England. Robert, Robert England line. It was long, but hers was longer. I thought that for, was awesome. I'll tell you what, for a Saturday, the lines weren't bad. Uh, the vendor room, there's still a good amount of people, but that room is so big compared to the Crown Plaza mm -hmm. uh, hotel bar room there. And uh, I, I, I like the new space. I like the hide here for that Do convention. You? Yeah. 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 It was cool to see Kane Hodder, too. Oh, yeah. Kane there. Hodder, yeah. Yeah. Kane Hodder was there. And then. Um, what was his name uh, from Night Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Yeah. Uh, Anybody tried drugs on me, I'm gonna kick their ass. Oh my What's his god. Name? Oh San, San Ken Sangos. Oh yeah, my yeah. god. Mike <laughs> He's funny. <laughs> so we were we were trying to see we were trying to stay in line for, for uh, uh the guy to play Jason and Jason versus Freddie. Uh Ken uh what say his last name, like Kersinger. Kersinger. He looks like such a nice guy. And uh, I said, Oh man, Sammy Dick, I sitting down and he's taller than most people. And mm -hmm. and I turned around and there's the guy from from the <laughs> 
So I said, hey, we so got a podcast. Listen to it. He said, the fuck I will. <laughs> <laughs> I should, you know what? I'm so pissed. There was nobody there. I could have easily walked in and got a picture of that dude that I didn't like an ass. Because you know me. I get like a little kid in there, man. I want to buy everything. Oh, yeah. But but when I see them there, he hasn't changed a bit. He looks exactly the same. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the girls in there. Dream warriors. Mikey, we've seen so. We've, I seen. I don't know if Sammy's seen one or two of them, but I've seen at least three. From the Freddy movies, oh my God, they did not age well at no, all. Oh, Amanda Weiss was still awesome. Yes, was, like she yes. was fun. Yes, yes, beautiful woman. And 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 uh, and uh, I I was a big fan when this movie came out. Um, oh my God, she's re- she's still really pretty. Uh, the Night of the Comet, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. Oh, yeah. my buddy oh, John loves her. Gorgeous girl, gorgeous girl, and she was so nice. And she said, "I I overheard her telling one of the fans, one of my favorite scenes was uh, the uh, obviously the the mall scene. You know when 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 all those uh, all those all those creepy dudes were were after them." And she says, I remember as if it was yesterday. She goes, "That was a such a fun film to make. Hmm. It really was." I always liked her in uh, Nighthawks. Rucker Hauer blew her up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Kelly Maroney or? No. Uh, Catherine, Ca- Mary Catherine Mary Stewart. Oh. Yeah. Very nice lady. Very, Weekend, very Weekend nice at Bernie's. Yeah. yeah. She's in that Oh, one. she was at Weekend at Bernie's? Yeah. Oh. Never seen it. Yeah, you're not missing never, it. Never seen it. Never, you know. And That's he was a fun little movie. And, and, little and he was in, uh, <laughs> was he in New Blood? Uh, Friday the 13th? The oh, Bernie? Bernie? Yeah. Yeah. He played yeah, her New doctor. Blood. Yeah. Yeah, which which I think yeah part seven yeah, seven, seven. I, you, you know what I, I I know I mentioned it to Sammy that's my favorite Jason love that one yeah when love he's coming out of the one. water yeah hotter. and you just see his back it, the the makeup job just was so overwhelming John man. Carl Beekler oh that was the first God. one with uh with Kane Hodder yeah it? yeah, yeah. he got that one because Beekler was directing and they worked together on a movie called Prison yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I always I always liked that one, but I'm even more pissed off like when I when we did the Friday the thirteenth series and I found out there was like so many more awesome effects that they left behind like on the yeah. cutting room floor, like the smashing of the guy's head or Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what did you say, Mike? He sticks the the clown horn through the girl's eye. <laughs> <laughs> or or no, Sammy Sammy brought it up on a podcast when he he said some of the so many actors were inside the house smoking, and she's like, "What are all these little things that connect to the wall?" Oh, uh, that would be dynamite. <laughs> yeah, it's for when we blow the house up later. Shit. They also said that See? when they blew that house up, they were like, "What the fuck?" Like it was, it was way, way po- more powerful than they expected it to be. <laughs> now, see, Mike. Every time I see that scene, I think of Sammy in the podcast when he brought that up, and I thought, you know what? As many times as I'd like to be part of a horror movie, that would be my dumb fat ass. I'd have a, my my cigar smoking a fucking room, <laughs> and everybody's like, uh, "Buddy, do you, you do know there's dynamite all over?" <laughs> it's all right though. Really? Everybody likes really? to worry, but Super? did it go off? Did it go off did you die <laughs> all right we gotta jump into this here all right yeah so uh some of our sources for today again uh mostly the amityville horror by jay anson i think i incorrectly said before that this is the warren's perspective on it but it's more of the lutz family uh perspective on the whole situation here so uh will Saviv's book uh, mentally ill in amityville murder mystery and mayhem at 112 ocean avenue good book also, coast to coast with uh, George. <laughs> what is a fucking? I forgot his name. Son of a bitch. He's the guy that's dead, right? <laughs> yeah, Art, uh, Art Bell. Yeah. 
So uh, we'll begin today with uh, George Lee Lutz, a 28-year-old ex-Marine who owned a land surveying business uh, passed down to him by his family. He met and began dating Kathleen Connors, who was 28 years old, full-time waitress, uh, and they were married in July of 1975. George was a non-practicing Methodist, and Kathy was a divorced Catholic. Uh, neither were religious, but oddly enough, the couple got married in a Presbyterian church. So Kathy lived with her three children from a previous marriage, uh, Danny, who was nine, Chris, who was seven, and Missy, who was five. George lived alone with his hyperdog named Harry, a mix between Malamute and Labrador Retriever. They each had their own homes, but they decided to sell both of them for a single-family <laughs> home. So when the family began searching for a home, like the DeFeos, they decided that Long Island's South Shore would be the best place. The houses in the area were pricey, but they were fixated on buying a home in that area. They soon contacted realtor Edith Evans, who was working for Conklin Realty in Massapequa Park, Long Island. Uh, and finding out the Lutz's tight budget for house shopping, Edith didn't have many options. She decided to show them the former DeFeo house at the asking price of $9,000. The price was more than George wanted to spend, and some speculate that it was more than he could afford at the time. But the Lutzes immediately fell in love with the house, and George was determined to follow through with the sale after seeing how much his wife really wanted the place. The family had looked at some 50 homes before they were taken to 112 Ocean Avenue, and it was love at first sight. That's still a cool house, I think. Oh, that I looks love like it, man. It's black. I love that house. <laughs> the eyes. They look like they're looking at you. Yeah. So once the tour of the home was nearly completed, Edith took the couple out back to show them the boathouse. Edith saw that George and Kathy were ecstatic about the house. It was then that she decided to reveal to them the reason why the price of the home was such a bargain. Edith informed them that it was the DeFeo house, and George and Kathy were aware of the DeFeo murders, but they didn't realize until that moment that they were at the infamous residence. Ronnie DeFeo's trial hadn't been completed at that time, and Edith had been reluctant to tell the Lutzes about the tragic events that took place at the home just a year earlier. Even though uh, she was surprised when the Lutzes had no problem with her admissions of what had occurred in the home. Do you think you'd be alright with that? Living in a house like that where six people were gunned down? No, I mean if you... Even Four if, of them if, children? Even if it was like a, a steal like on the price. Probably not. <laughs> not, not, not I you, might be okay with it. I, you know what? That wouldn't bother me because the lady that bought our house died right in the living room. And 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 you know, of course, children, you got to feel horrible about that. But if the house was nice, I, I I'd get it. I mean, would I be a little leery? You know, walking through it. Yeah, okay. but get it I'd for yourself it. or get it for you and your whole family. My whole family. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like you're about to have some crazy experiences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm too superstitious. Man. And, and, and here, you know that's okay. That's, that'd be the that, first thing I would think of. Ghosts. You, you know that's okay. Yeah, if you're superstitious cool. or, or or just leery of of anything that could go wrong, that's okay. I mean, you're, you, that's normal. But but that that I don't think that that I know for a fact that wouldn't bother me at all. Actually, that would get me to buy it. Uh, yeah. But my wife wouldn't. I just tell them to leave me alone, ghosts. Yeah. yeah. Can I sleep in a little longer, <laughs> yeah. buddy, before you start haunting me? Before we continue. Not today. Before you take over my body, just let, you know, just let me lay here. <laughs> before we continue, I got to bring up, I think I've said it before, there's an excellent documentary that you can find out there called My Amityville Horror. It's mm -hmm. all about the point of view from the of the haunting from Daniel Lutz, the oldest son. <sighs> it's really good, and it's really shocking and uh, very, very interesting. Lorraine Warren's in it as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I think we talked about it a little bit on the last episode about yeah. uh, some of I the mean, things that happened in there. The stories that he tells, like the, how he tells it, it's like, yeah, I think he's telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> he but seems the, like it fucked him up for life for well, that. He's got PTSD or something. I mean, as we go on, you'll realize what kind of person George is. <laughs> and the kind of person that George is that Daniel describes is not who you think. Like, he was pretty fucking sick and evil and an asshole and was probably haunted himself and brought the ghosts with them in there. I don't know. Maybe that's a, that's like, I don't know. A lot of this that I researched was that, that was kind of a lot of him putting a lot. Well, there. according yeah. to Daniel, he had, a lot all, of people he had all these, suggested that he had a bunch of books and he was very, he had like an interest in black magic, the occult. So I don't know if he was studying or practicing it. According to Daniel. Yeah. He was practicing this, these things. And he was also big into jujitsu and stuff like that. Yeah, Transcendental yeah. meditation. Yes. Buddhism. According to Daniel, George Lutz could move things with his mind. I think that was bullshit. And he said, he, "Well, he, <laughs> he said, was a real little kid when that happened." Yes, but he said he's seen George move things with his mind. But go ahead, continue. He used the force. Yeah, but yeah, but you know what though? This was one of the actually this was the first uh, horror movie that I seen that it was the house because like the entity and a few others. It wasn't the house. It was where you. It was, it was that person. It was yeah. the person. Uh, and like I said, the entity man. I. You know what? And I'm so pissed. I was gonna bring that up at the at the uh, convention because you know when it came out, I, I loved it. I still love it. One of my favorite horror movies. But when when that part came in when she came back home and she already emptied the house and that that voice said "Welcome home." I don't want to say that word. "Welcome home." See. Mm-hmm. It, and I'm like, oh, dude, that was so disturbing. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's even hard for me to listen to it. But, but like I said, uh, you know, making a point of, uh, you know, this was th- this was magnificently made because it was the house. Mm. Yeah. It's a little bit cheesy now, but it's still a very, you know, a very creepy movie. You think the original still cheesy? I don't think it is a little bit the, cheesy, the one, but it's still very scary. The one scene where James Brolin like looks under the stairs and it's like that red mist. Is like coming, and then you start seeing these weird looking people like walking towards him. That's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talking about some of the stuff with the priest, though, you know, he's like mm. got the, the flies yeah, surrounding yeah, him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. See, you, you know, because we'll get to that in a minute. The, the, the reason why I still love it so much is because I, I was at a young age when I seen it, and we didn't have all this, all this stuff like you guys do now. You know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't have all this miracle of the the camera and video and stuff like that. So to uh, to us back then, man, oh, <laughs> you guys were pissing your pants at <laughs> one person getting possessed <laughs> by the devil. <laughs> that's that's normal fare nowadays, my friend. <laughs> all right. Well, the couple uh, was sold on the house, but disgusted with the children first. George and Kathy's main concern was that the kids might hear rumors when they went to school. But the children claimed that they loved the house and that it wouldn't bother them either. The couple made a few more visits to the house and then decided that they would have plenty for the down payment with the sale of their other two homes. Moreover, since the house had been on the market for close to a year, George offered 80000 for the sale of the home, which was accepted. I think six murders trumps, listen, you got to sell this house, right? I'd be like, <laughs> knock 20 off for each body. <laughs> I'm getting this house. You're, you're paying me. <laughs> Uh, The entire Lutz family moved all their belongings into the house on Thursday, December 18th, 1975, just two weeks after DeFeo's sentencing. So earlier in the week, one of George's friends, who was a practicing Catholic, instead uh, insisted that they have a priest bless the home because of the recent murders that had taken place there. 
George had thought it a good idea and made arrangements to have Father Ralph Pecoraro from the Diocese of Rockville Center come and bless the house on move-in day. Now, that's the actor that played him. Yeah, that's just the actor that played him. Uh, they did show, like, one little clip. I think uh, Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of, I saw, but he was, like, blacked out. You couldn't see his face, you know? This guy was in, in Heat of the Night. Do you remember that, Sal? In the remakes? No, no, no. In the, in the original? The original, yeah. Was he the racist sheriff? Yeah. No, that's him. Yeah. He was also the general in Mars Attacks. Oh, if yeah. you remember that, <laughs> yeah, that was always oh, trying to nuke him. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I knew because I'm looking at him now. I'm like, who do I? Where do I know this guy? I forget his name in real life, but yeah, because he, there's a lot of cause, stuff. Because Mike, when he was when he played that part in the Heat of Night, he was so heavy. He mm. was really heavy, and now look at him here. Wow. Yeah, he was big in Mars Attacks too. Wow, I remember I, that. Call me Mr. Tibbs. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> So reportedly, George had met the priest while getting an annulment for his first marriage. George was previously previously married to a Catholic woman, and as part of the annulment proceedings, he had to go down to the diocese office to do an interview. The interviewee was Father Pecoraro. It was the only priest that George knew to call at the time. Father Ray, as they called him, arrived as scheduled at the home, and uh, he was, even he was impressed by the immensity of the house there. So uh, Father Ray started on the first floor, going room to room, performing a routine blessing ritual. However, when Father Ray went upstairs and began blessing Mark and John DeFeo's former bedroom, which was the uh, Lutz's later called the sewing room, it set off a chain of events. So Father Ray had a Bible in his right hand and a salt shaker type filled object of holy water in his left hand. He did it in all the other rooms and he began by walking around the room, reading a particular verse from the Bible while sprinkling around holy water. Years later, Father Ray agreed to do an exclusive interview with a TV series in search of, hosted by Leonard Nimoy, where he said that he was, as he was blessing the sewing room, it got really cold. Uh, he walked around the room sprinkling holy water, and then he heard a deep, masculine voice behind him say, Get out! Yeah, he then was slapped hard across the face. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds like a catty little bitch of a ghost, so he's like, Get out! Slaps you in the face. <laughs> I don't know, but it just got me. <laughs> get out of here, Jesus Christ. Yeah, get out. <laughs> but this is my sewing room. But you know what, though? Do you guys think that's a little hypocritical of people? Or, the, or uh, I don't want to say anything about the Catholic religion. But do you think that's a little Please hypocritical do. that you have? <laughs> Please do. Go Mike, ahead. it's raining out. I don't need a lightning at me. Did yeah, you- Catholic religion. Fuck you, Andy. Oh and you guys told me to watch what I'm saying. Uh, do you think it's a little hypocritical for people or the Catholic religion to come in and bless a house? Because right now, to me, to me, that's very hypocritical because now you think that it needs to be that there's some kind of. Why else would you have them there if you didn't think something was wrong? Come on, dude. Come on. No, back, in the, come back in the day, it so, sounded like a normal thing. D- d- right. See? And, and what I'm trying if to If you're get, religious and you're Catholic. And I'm Catholic, but I'm not going to have some priest come in and bless the house. Right away, you think, okay, is there a demon here? And, and come on. People are old fashioned back then, I guess. I yeah. guess there was always some demons and you something. Know, or, or or you get or you get the 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 um, the voodoo people. What, what do they burn, Mike? Incense. No, not incense. It's 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 something else. It's like sage. a sage. Sage, yeah. Not voodoo. Yeah. Not yeah. Well, it's not voodoo. No. Mm. Voodoo. So, I like I like that name, voodoo. Maybe voodoo. It's voodoo. Voodoo, voodoo the Rilla. 
<laughs> yeah, Father Ray was the only one in the room, so he immediately fled and returned to the first floor where George and Kathy were still busy unpacking. He claimed they had prior <clears throat> engagement and he had to attend and he had to get going, so he was a liar too, this father, this priest. Uh, he, uh, George and Kathy noticed that he looked somewhat disheveled, being a bit naive. George went to give the father some money for his time, and the priest told him that you don't charge for this and you don't charge friends. He also said, brother's got a hug. <laughs> So Father Ray told them nothing of the incident, but left them with a warning that he felt something strange in that upstairs bedroom. He also told them not to spend too much time in that room and not to use it as a bedroom. Later that in the day, Father Ray went to visit his mother, who asked if he was sick because he looked terrible. He went to the bathroom and looked at his reflection in the mirror. In it, he saw two large black circles under his eyes that were so dark he thought they might be smears of dirt. He tried to wash them off with soap and water, but it didn't help. Father Ray left his mother's home after eight, heading back to the rectory. So on the Van Wick Expressway in Queens, he found his car was being forced onto the right shoulder. Shortly after that, the hood popped open, smashing the windshield. One of the wielded hinges tore loose and the right front front door flew open. Father Mancuso tried to break the car, but it stalled by itself. He ran into a uh, he ran to a telephone pole, got a hold of another priest who lived near the expressway. Fortunately, the other priest was able to drive Father Ray to a garage where he got a tow truck to bring in the car. The mechanic couldn't get the car to start, and Father Ray left the car at the garage and had his friend drive him home to Sacred Heart Rectory. Meanwhile, while the Lutzes were moving, they chained Harry to the dog run so that they could move their stuff and not worry about him running away. Harry was a year and a half old at the time, and he was fearless before moving into the house, but Harry was acting very strange that day. What seemed like a fit, uh, Harry climbed over the fence, but the chain was too short for him to get all the way over, and Harry hung choking to death on his own noose like a leash. Uh, George and the family rushed over and lifted him back into the pen, saving funny. his life. This re- this is Shut one of the off, things that funny. really fucked uh, you know, Danny Lutz up in that oh, documentary yeah. he's oh, talking yeah. about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Shut up, asshole. He was traumatized by that. Hate, I'm sorry. I'm I hate sorry. it when the dog dies. I don't, Mike, Mike, listen to me. Listen to me. I, the, <laughs> I don't care what you say about people. Don't Wait, hang a dog. I know, don't laugh at that. You are so hypocritical. You just no, you just said something. Dogs about are the Catholic, better than people. You just said something about the Catholic religion. <laughs> Fuck the Catholic religion. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You want you want to talk about laughing at a dog hanging? Oh my god! Kiss my dude, ass, dude. Dude, you can't say that about cat. Dude, watch me. Fuck the Catholic religion. Wow. It's two against one, buddy. Not that. Me, <laughs> do, you me, guys, do you guys want me let's to leave? Let's move on. Do you guys want me to leave? Do, move, do, move, hold move on, on, hold on, hold on. Before before, before you, we move on, I Sammy we just mentioned the fly scene, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the father and all that, and him, you know, and I remember him getting sick, and then the car thing. Dude, I'm telling you, man. The fly <laughs> scene was better in Scary Movie. That's <laughs> what I was just about to say, Leslie <laughs> no, no, Nielsen. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Uh, when you attack, uh, oh, James yeah, Woods. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I will say, I will say this. I will say this. Because they attacked the, the Catholic priest, that was brutal. And I loved it. I loved it. I don't, I, Sammy didn't like the fly thing, but when he got sick, of, you know, and then the flies, and then they made him, steer, then the, the force made him steer off. Dude. Slapped him in the face. That, 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 <laughs> get that, out. That, 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 <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna go home. That's a, I would, I would, you know what? Even though I'm not gay, I would just be a gay ghost. To like, like, I don't know. This fucking ghost is weird. Sammy, oh my 
god. Like, show some more skin. And you guys told me to watch what I say. <laughs> you motherfuckers. Uh, so, Dogs oh, are better than people. They are. Okay, in a way, I do agree with that. So whether the priest's actions angered an entity or sparked the events to come, it would soon become all too evident to the Lutz family that there was an evil presence occupying their property. Right from the beginning, the temperature in the house was eerily bizarre. The house would go from warm to cold instantly, fluctuating 40 to 50 degrees one way or the other. In the dead of winter, George was frequently seen by neighbors chopping wood for their fireplace. They believed that it was a problem with the heating system, so they contacted the local heating specialist to come to the house to check it out. After three visits from the inspectors, they were never able to determine the cause of the problem. During one specialist visit, Kathy explained that the re- to the repairman uh, that witnessed the furnace f- uh, functioning, yet there was no heat. Uh, the temperature of the house was 40 degrees, but the thermostat read 80 degrees. That's one thing I would not fucking tolerate. Hot house. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> the ghosts can make this shit cold all they want to. That'd Keep be awesome. Cool. Hey, you want to make it cold? <sighs> I'll throw on a blanket, sleep big, comfortably. Big, big Sal's going to fall asleep in faster, so come at me. Mm-hmm. Sal likes those weighted blankets, right? He's got 70 pounders on him. F gas. <laughs> George started wake, uh, started waking up between 3 and 3.30 a.m. from the day one, uh, feeling restless, uneasy, and often hearing strange noises. He'd regularly get out of bed and walk around cautiously to discover what was causing the noises. Oddly enough, as he inspected the house, the noises would suddenly cease. Um, he also began undergoing personality changes, snapping at the family and fighting regularly with Kathy. The feeling of confusion was misplaced anger, uh, of misplaced anger were prevalent themes. For no reason, George would lash out at Kathy and the kids. Kathy fell into the same mood. She was tense from her strained relationship with George and from the efforts of trying to put her house in shape before Christmas. And on the fourth night in the house, the children accidentally cracked a pane of glass in the playroom's half-moon window. And Kathy and George exploded, beating Danny, Chris, and Missy with a strap <laughs> and a large, heavy wooden spoon. <laughs> You ever get the spoon, Sal? No, I got the belt. <laughs> Man, both of my grandmothers had giant wooden yeah. spoons. Yeah. And both of them had like yeah. shit cut out of the middle of them, like a heart cut out of the middle. <laughs> so it would travel faster dude. and leave a mark. Dude, oh my God. dude. Mikey. You have hearts on you? Mikey. Mikey. I, I love my mother-in-law, God rest her soul. But dude, don't piss that woman off because even if demons come, they're gonna be afraid of her. Dude, Sammy's yeah. right, man. Woo. Man, both of my grandmothers were like Negan with the baseball bat. <laughs> dude, and 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 his one grandmother, you know, God rest her soul, my, my mother-in-law. Not, not only not, not only would she do that to him, so but put a spoon in barbed wire. But but no, Mikey, her, she would her, beat your ass and then be like, "Now go get some sausage." Yeah, dude, her voice, her voice was ear. Shattering. I love it. Ear shattering, man. <laughs> Dude, these ghosts would have nothing against my mother along. Yeah. Jeez. Whoop their fucking ass. I, I remember I remember Anthony when he was little, his friends were afraid to come in the house, and that's a true story. <laughs> yeah, because because she was always yelling and and you know wow. He was awesome though. She was. So as the weeks went on, Danny, Christopher, and Missy became unruly, and their parents were forced to punish them regularly. Uh, this was a dramatic change <laughs> as they were model children before moving into the home. <laughs> you just Beat love little bad asses. little kids, don't I'm you? I'm sorry, man. I do. <laughs> don't you talk. What? 
Don't hang the phone. Don't. <laughs> poor, poor dog. Yeah. God damn it. Man. According to the, the Lutzes on the Merv Griffiths show in 1979, the first incident that made them question the possibility of an unknown presence was when they were meditating one day in the house. They frequently practiced transcendental meditation, which was becoming popular after many studies were published in the early 70s. One day, George and Kathy were meditating in their living room, and Kathy's hand was touched. She told George about it, describing the touch as a comforting feeling, like a mother giving comfort to a daughter. In Jay Henson's book, this happens as Kathy is wrapping Christmas presents in the kitchen, by the way. This is a little little discrepancy there, but it's kind of the same story. So, this embracing touch was interrupted by the children calling for their parents to come upstairs quick. Kathy and George found the toilet bowls had turned black from a burnt type of substance. <laughs> That was in there. Uh, many many think that it was the water itself that was black or blood-like because this is what was shown in the movie. However, it was the actual china on the bowl that turned black, not the water. You've got nothing but black in yourself. No, uh, could you imagine me working on a film and then I accidentally take a shit in one of the rooms and they, they just, hey, we'll use this. We'll incorporate this into the film. This guy's shit is evil. Uh, even Cleon says hooray for that. <laughs> <laughs> so this all started in one bathroom and then quickly spread to all the others with the bowls remaining black when investigators later arrived. Um, an overwhelming stench would occasionally linger in these bathrooms as well. This is starting to sound a little suspect to me about ghosts. I don't know about ghosts. It's like this happens every single time Sal comes to my house. <laughs> Sal, I didn't know you were from Long Island. Dude, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm like, there's a demon in this fucking house. God. No, it was just Uncle Sal. Sal. <laughs> That's why they think so many hotels are haunted. Sal's been oh. there. <laughs> and I'll leave it there. <laughs> so other strange odors began to emanate from all around the house, and the family couldn't figure out where they were coming from. At first, they blamed the kids, thinking they may have spilled perfume or something. However, the mysterious odors would sometimes travel from room to room when the kids were not even home. So, did you ever leave an upper decker? I don't know, but is this my nephew? Is this about me? <laughs> did, that's what I this do. would Sal would be the the Duke demon. <laughs> the Duke demon. <laughs> hey, that's, that's Dookie to you, Dookie. <laughs> so, of course, flies began appearing in the dead of winter, mainly in the sewing room on the second floor, and in Dawn's old room on the third floor. Ooh. At first, just a few appeared, but as time went on, the number of flies increased until there were hundreds. George and Kathy would kill all the flies only for them to return again and see flies had grown in numbers. It's another thing Danny Lutz talks about. He's like, I killed all the fucking flies. Yeah. <laughs> they kept coming back. That is a funny documentary because he's like, he's pretty traumatized, but also he's like kind of cheesy. Yeah. Like they keep showing him with like sunglasses on and he's Chainsaw, playing guitars. It's like, well, my father hit me when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> but Mikey, why do flies? Why are flies attracted to smelling? Flies on shit. <laughs> Daniel Lutz is always like he doesn't. He's really pissed off when people don't believe him. Yeah. He's like, you don't fucking believe. You think I would make this shit up? Yeah, it's a little temperamental, don't you say? He's like, get the fuck out of the building. <laughs> From Long Island. 
Uh, well, on the, the fourth day in the house, the doorbell rang, and when George answered it, he found a man who looked to be anywhere from 35 to 45 because of his receding hairline, he figured, uh, standing there with a hesitant smile on his face and a six-pack of beer in his hands. His features were coarse, and his nose was red from the cold. The man spoke, and he said, Everybody wants to come over to welcome you to the neighborhood. You don't mind, do you? The man wore a three-quarter length wool uh, car coat, corduroy pants, and construction boots, and it struck George that he didn't look like a neighbor who would own one of the large homes in the area. George said he wouldn't mind and let the man inside. George took him into the kitchen and introduced him to Kathy. The man uh, stood there and then repeated the same lines to Kathy, then continued by telling the Lutzes that he kept his boat at another neighbor's boathouse several doors down on Ocean Avenue. The man held on to the six-pack and finally said, I brought it. I'll take it with me. <laughs> and then he left. <laughs> so George and Kathy never found out his name or saw him again. This is also in the Amityville movie. He sounds like Crazy Ralph. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the Prophet oh, doom. of Doom. <laughs> oh, oh. It's going to death kiss. <laughs> I, I just like that. Hey, buddy, uh, can I get one of those beers? I brought it. Yeah. I'll take it with me. It's my beer. <laughs> You get your own beer. It's my beer. But you mind if I pee in your bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's the one who left the black duke. He's like, he's like you know what? Th- that might not be. It might have been this guy. This whole thing. Yeah. He's like, bro, man. He's like, bro, man. <laughs> By the way, Mike, y'all Mike, out of toilet paper. Mike, <laughs> Mike what did you say? The black duke. <laughs> my, my favorite. Oh. In, in South, didn't you say you also like what bro man is wearing Martin's sweater? And he's like. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, everything, the arms and everything are so short on him. He had, he had prison muscles. I was like, <laughs> Bro, man, what are you doing up here? Oh. I'm making a sandwich. Oh. By the way, you want a mayonnaise. <laughs> Martin, who? Martin. Oh, my God. <laughs> Martin Lawrence. Oh, you never seen the Martin Lawrence show? Oh, of oh, course, dude. We, I, I had a buddy named Marty. We used to tease him all the time. We'd be like, Martin. Oh, Martin. But the best was when Bro Man had his shoes off and everybody smelled his feet. <laughs> That's what's happening right now over here. You might be Bro Man. Yikes. Oh, yeah, because I'm not wearing any sockies. Yikes. All right, so that night uh, when they went to bed, George made his usual check of all the doors and windows, latching and locking inside and out. And when he woke at 3.15 a.m. in the morning and gave in to the urge to look downstairs, he was stunned to find the 250-pound wooden front door retched wide open and hanging from one hinge. Upon further inspection, George found that the doorknob was completely twisted off center and the metal facing was bent back as if someone tried to pry it open with a tool from the inside. So the next day on uh, the 23rd, Kathy was straightening up when a terrible odor surrounded her in the bedroom. She then witnessed a crucifix she had just hung on the wall. Uh, (laughs) Spun upside, uh, spun the hang upside down. It was inverted. (laughs) I had that same effect. It was the devil. (laughs) No, it was that stanky sound. Uh, on Christmas Eve, Father Ray came down with a 104-degree f- fever, thinking over and over what had happened to him in the Amityville home. He kept using the word evil to describe the presence and developed an obsession with trying to get other people to either call or bring him a phone to call the Lutzes and warn them again to stay out of the sewing room at all costs. When trying to communicate over the phone with each other, uh, the Lutzes would say that the phone would ring and Father Ray would answer, or vice versa. But noise and static interference prevented any type of communication with him. Similar instances occurred when they tried to contact Father Ray again in the future. 
Telephone repairmen came to the house three times to check the phone lines, but no static and no interference when testing the lines. Um, on Christmas morning, George awoke at exactly 3.15 a.m. again, sitting up in bed with the winter moonlight flooding the bedroom. George saw Kathy quite clearly sleeping on her stomach, and he reached out his hand to touch her head. At that instant, Kathy woke up. As she looked wildly about, George could see the fright in her eyes, and she then yelled that she was, quote, she was shot in the head. I heard explosions in my head, meaning that Kathy was having a dream where she was Louise DeFeo being murdered. And at that mm. time, they claimed they didn't really, you know, know much about these murders. Okay, that's brutal. Yeah. Probably at the time, you know, just what you'd see on the news or in the papers, I assume. We got to remind people that the Lutz family only lived in the Amityville house for 28 days. Yeah, 28. Then they just got up and left they left shit. all their shit yeah. mike if that shit happened in the first half hour i'd bat my bad ass out of there 28 days <laughs> but according to daniel all that bad shit continued wherever else they lived it's, yeah they, they said a little bit afterwards We're, we'll cover a little bit after uh the haunting okay but um yeah uh, did he say that it kept happening to him to him personally the whole family yeah. it, whatever was there he thinks followed them it always follows you yeah. It follows. Yeah. George, uh, he comforted Kathy until she, fall until she fell asleep and then went to check on Harry, who was outside in the backyard. After making sure that the boathouse was locked, he looked up at the house, and from Missy's second-floor bedroom window, George could see the little girl staring at him, her eyes following him. Directly behind Missy, frighteningly visible to George, was the face of a pig, and he was sure he could see little red eyes glaring at him. George ran for the house and pounded up the stairs to Missy's bedroom. When he turned on the light, she was in bed lying on her stomach. He went to her side and said her name, but she didn't answer, being fast asleep. There was a little creak behind him, and George turned to see Missy's little chair beside the window that looked out at the boathouse was slowly rocking back and forth. What, what, was, the, what, what was the dealio with the pig head? <clears throat> it was Jody. Jody. <laughs> I know you like evil kids, right, Sal? You know it's what? not like Missy's evil. It's not, but yeah, <laughs> but but you know what? Though it, it reminds me of that scene where that guy put the pig head on in uh, Motel Hell. That just bothered the shit out of me, man. <laughs> That's you know, a fun one, Motel it, Hell. It, it is, yeah. But that, but when I see when I was told what that was, because like I told Sammy, Mike, I, d I didn't even notice that was a pig's head when I first seen it. I just it was just orange to in me. The original film. Well, because I'm colorblind and it, and it all blended in together. I seen something, but I couldn't make it out. So, you know, when, when I rewatched it after Sammy told me what it was, I was like, oh, man, that was some creepy-ass shit. <clears throat> it was Jody. It was Jody. So at 9 o'clock that night, Kathy went up to the third floor playroom to get Missy ready for bed. She heard Missy's voice coming from her bedroom. Missy was talking out loud, obviously speaking to someone else in the room. At first, Kathy thought it was one of the boys, but then she heard Missy say, isn't the snow beautiful, Jody? When Kathy entered, her daughter was sitting in a little rocker by the window, staring at the falling snow outside. Kathy looked around the room, but there was no one there. Kathy asked who she was talking to, and Missy looked around at her mother. Then her eyes went back to the corner of the room, and she replied, Just Jody. There was nothing in the corner of the room, but some of Missy's toys were on the floor. Kathy asked Jody if it was one of her new dolls, to which Missy said that no, Jody was a pig, <laughs> that he was her friend, and that no one can see him but her. Kathleen knew that Missy, like other children her age, often created people and animals to talk to, so she assumed that it was the child's imagination at work again, since George had not yet told her of the incident in Missy's room the night before. The, the morning, uh, I'm sorry, the day after Christmas, Kathy was in the kitchen having her morning coffee when she suddenly sent the presents directly behind her chair. 
Her nostrils caught a sweetest scent of perfume, and she recognized it as the odor that had permeated her bedroom four days before. Startled, Kathy could actually feel a body pressing against hers, clasping its arms around her waist. The pressure was light, however, Kathy realized that, as before, it was a woman's touch, almost reassuring. The unseen presence didn't give her a sense of danger, at least not at first. Um, then the sweet smell became heavier. It seemed to swirl in the air, making Kathy dizzy. She started to <laughs> gag, then pull away from a grip that tightened as she struggled. Kathy thought she heard a whisper, and she recalls something deep within her, uh, not <laughs> warning her not to listen. She shouted no. Uh, she said, leave me alone, and she struck out at the empty air, and the embrace tightened on her before Kathy felt a hand on her shoulder, making the same motions of motherly reassurance she had felt the first time in her kitchen. Then it was gone, and all that remained was the odor of the cheap perfume. <laughs> So when Kathy turned around, Missy was standing there, and she told Kathy that Jody told her that she shouldn't cry and that everything would be all right soon. I ain't got no idea. I do but not like the children's I, stuff. I, I ain't got no idea, but with the little kid smelling that stuff, that that's funny. <laughs> the little kid smelling it? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> the odor was in the room. <laughs> cheap perfume? I don't, it was a cheap perfume. It was Big Sale. <laughs> That's good. I wish I was to blame for all of that. <laughs> well, you're a lot. You're to blame for a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> Wouldn't that be cool, Mike? Hey, this is the older right here, Sal. <laughs> we could be in convention. You're a gross man. I'll tell you about the Lombard haunting. It was Sal Velez. <laughs> so George uh, Vivian. Haunts my dreams. <laughs> and, Mike, and, Mike, dreams. and Mike takes me to one of the horror conventions and charges $1.25 to meet me. <laughs> you you got to go into a glass case with Sal for five minutes. Yeah. You go home You go home with a funk. <laughs> no, no, no. Mike has a sign. Either you pay $1.25 for this? or we pay you. <laughs> <laughs> we pay you if you get stand next to Sal for five minutes. Yeah. If you can go into the glass case with Sal Ooh. for five minutes and come out, we'll give you yeah. $5,000. Yeah. <laughs> well, George vividly remembers the day after Christmas because that was the day set for Kathy's brother uh, Jimmy's wedding. It was also the beginning of a severe case of diarrhea he developed after checking out the boathouse. The pain was so intense at first, almost as if a knife had pierced his stomach, he said. Um, it's also important to note that George hadn't showered once since moving into the house eight days ago. Oh, so he was ripe. Dude. At the same time, Father Ray was starting to feel a little better, which is temp with his temperature returning to normal. Um, just like in the movie, when Kathy's brother came over to the house before the wedding, he had an envelope with about $1,500 I'm sorry, $1, in it. Uh, the final balance that he owed for the wedding, which went missing. George covered the cost from his business, which he hadn't shown up to work also since moving into the Amityville house, despite having tax problems and meetings with the IRS about his books. George also said that he felt a little better at the reception, but earlier, when he was in the church during the ceremony, he got violently nauseated, ran to the bathroom at the back of the church, and George later joked that he was so sick afterwards, <laughs> the toilet bowl looked like someone blew their goddamn brains out. <laughs> <laughs> now, I added that last part, but he he did get sick at the Ooh, church. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds like me after after having a churro at the at the flea market. Oh, Don't ever ever eat at a flea market, man. Are you crazy? Don't you know there's like mice and rats crawling around on the grills? 
a fucking flea market, dude. Oh yeah, he had a couple of churros at the flea market. That happened to me. Never. I hope that's a lesson learned. Like, don't do that again, man. I, I went to 7-Eleven to grab a drink, and I saw this guy was buying nachos, and I was like, I was about to be like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Some people use laxatives in a different way. Oh, boy, that was funny. <laughs> That's a true story about the churros, though. Yeah, you don't ever eat from the flea market, dude. <laughs> so when they returned home from the wedding, George and Kathy made love and fell asleep. God, can you imagine making love to him? Eight days? Eight days of no He's shower? had the shits, and Ugh. fucking, he's all sweaty, and... Dude, he beat Classic. my record after seven days. Gross. Eight Classy days not move. taking a shower and being stanky? So uh, that night, Kathy had a dream of Louise DeFeo and a man that Kathy knew somehow wasn't Louise's husband making love as well. Apparently, Kathy learned several weeks after moving out of the house that Louise did have a boyfriend on the side, an artist who lived with the family for a while who painted all the DeFeo portraits that were still hanging in the house when they were murdered. That's weird. Yeah. Remember I showed you some of those last week? Those yes. artist paintings? Yeah. So on December 27th, the front doorbell rang. It was Kathy's Aunt Teresa stopping by for a surprise visit. Teresa had been a nun at one time, and no one ever knew exactly why she left the order, but now she had tr- three children of her own. Sal, what do you think of some reasons a nun would stop being a nun? Because Can fuck I- the Catholic Church. That's Can- why. You know what? You know what? I, I, I know quite a few people that just totally lost um, their beliefs. And that's one of them because I told you guys when I went to when I went to uh, finding school, out that priests are child molesters might do that. No, it's not, no, I'm talking. I'm talking it's about the truth. The, I'm talking. Oh, it is the truth. But I'm talking about uh, especially that's nuns. A reason a lot of nuns back then, Mikey gave it up. They couldn't handle it, man. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle all the rules. They couldn't handle. They lost faith and blah 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 blah. Because <clears throat> back then there were so many so many uh, you know um, diseases that came out. You know, and 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 they just said, you know, hey man, we're praying to God, and He's not helping these children. And a couple of them left at the monastery. And then they said they got cures for those diseases. Well, and you know, the nun said, I'm well, you know, back on it. Because I remember, I remember what's that? What's that? Uh, is it the, uh, what shot leaves a mark on you permanently? Is that the polio shot? When you're a little kid and you see that little mark on your arm, well, I, re- I think I re- that was like a bunch of vaccines. I, they would I, do at the I, re- same I remember time. back in the '70s, Mikey, dude, little dudes were dropping like flies. And 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 Polio? you know, yeah, and and uh, uh, you know, a lot of people couldn't afford, you know, to go to the doctor back then. And man, I was, whew, it was, it was bad. But I, I think a lot of the reason is, man, we're human, dude. We're human. You know, I, I mean, the nuns that the only the only nuns that I remember that didn't quit were the old old ones. Mm. You know, but the young ones, because there was quite a few. Man, you'd see him one year, next year. Hey, what happened to Sister Patrice? Oh man, she gave this 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 stuff up <laughs> again, like saving Silverman. Lost another one. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> They're all pumping iron. Son of a bitch, <laughs> getting swole. <laughs> what was the name of that movie? Saving Saving Silverman. Oh, Saving Silverman. <laughs> I want to party with you, <laughs> Neil. <laughs> she torched Neil. But isn't there a part, yeah, where Arlie Ermey's in there? He's like, they tell him he can't stay at the house because they got ghosts. <laughs> He's like, you got ghosts. Yeah. He's like, how'd you get rid of her? They're like, we ate her. He's like, you ate her? Oh, right. That's a perfect time. <laughs> Way to get rid of the evidence. <laughs> you ate her? <laughs> what is it? What is it that's so menacing when the movies that we watch? hit the catholic religion like one of the most menacing things i've seen which i can't it's wait called for, reality man 
<laughs> which I, I can't wait. Sammy keeps on bringing it up uh, every other time we talk. Is um, uh, oh my god, the, the movie where they adopted a girl. Um, oh, Pee Wee Herman. Stop. <laughs> 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 hey, Jambi. I mean, what, what was the name? Uh, the word they adopted that little girl, and she wasn't a little girl. What was Orphan. It? Orphan. When she when she fucking got that hammer and beat the crap out of that nun off the off the uh, uh, bridge, dude. I, I did see the sequel to the this new one that's coming. Oh, you did? Yeah, it looks pretty good. Dude. Did you see that coming out? Yeah. You know, so it many... looks like a prequel. I think is it right? a prequel? I think so. Okay. It is. It might be the yeah, like the first. I think that's what it's called. First kill, isn't it? Uh, okay. Orphan oh. first kill. Oh, okay, okay. But but like I said, man, so, so many movies with religion, man. They just oh my pumpkin. I mean not pumpkin. Uh, uh, rawhead Rex, dude. <laughs> rawhead Rex peed on a priest, dude. Do you remember that, Sammy? Yeah. Dude, they tortured the hell out of the Catholic religion in the movies, man. The worst was The Exorcist. Holy crap! My favorite is Karate Priest from uh, <laughs> the Peter Jackson movie. Oh God! Uh, dead alive Karate. or brain dead? Karate! I kick ass for the Lord. I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> he does like triple spin oh, kicks. Yeah. Are you serious? Is oh, it yeah. Yeah. Big hurricane kicks, tornado kicks. Yeah, Mikey, that's the reason why I'm not a priest because I don't want to get my ass kicked or peed uh -huh. on, dude. <laughs> I love that. Movie. All right, well, back to the story that's here. My um, mother, you're pissing on. <laughs> 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 Great movie. We covered that a couple of times, I think. Uh, what was it? Killer Animals? We covered that on something else? Oh, yeah, because the Sumatran rant. Yeah. Rat. rat. And um, rat. I think our comedy, comedy, yeah, horror comedies episode, we covered yeah. that oh, on too. Dead Alive. Yeah. yeah. Great one. Check <sighs> out Dead Alive. Oh, sorry, dudes. <laughs> so, as uh, George and Kathy gave uh, Aunt Teresa a tour of the house, George had become aware of a chill in the house, a dankness that he hadn't noticed until Aunt Teresa came. She agreed that it seemed rather cold when she entered the house as well. Maybe uh, Aunt Teresa was just uh, smoking some of that skunk bud. You know hello. What I'm hello. <laughs> like, damn, Aunt Teresa, you got Nathan in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> what, is this? The what is this, Sammy? Black magic. <laughs> you on that black magic trip, Aunt Teresa? <laughs> so when they took Teresa up to the <gasps> second floor, uh, they stood outside the sewing room, and Aunt, Ter Aunt Teresa hesitated to enter. George opened the door for her, and she backed up a few feet, her face turning a pale. And she turned. Uh, she told them that she wouldn't go in there, and turned her back to the room. She also did the same thing with the playroom on the third floor, saying that it was another bad place in the house, and she didn't like it. I was like, "Has Sal been in there? <laughs> did I? Did I? Did I ever tell you two guys the first time I went to church with my mother along? God rest her soul. This is a true story. This is a, this is a true story. The mics went out. The the banner." Uh, on the on the altar fell off. The church got immediately really cold. Seriously, that's that's a true story. It's because you stepped in. <laughs> that just sounds like a bu like a bad fucking church, dude. Like, like their heater went out. No, I'm out. Sammy. You can ask your aunt. I'm serious. That was a true story. And my mother-in-law got rest her soul. Totally blame me on that. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It was probably your fault, you know. But but you know. Though, but you know. Though I, uh, I may sound hypocritical. I just don't get anything out of it. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't get anything out of church. I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe if they instead of a wafer, they gave Welcome you like the a majority. They gave you. They gave Sal like a a blessed tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> instead of a host, <laughs> a quesadilla with a little fucking on, uh, crucifix Sammy, burned don't, into don't. it. <laughs> <laughs> He's always bringing up the case of Dios. 
Uh, Kathy expected Teresa to stay for dinner and was surprised when uh, just a half an hour later after she arrived, Teresa informed her that she had to leave the house because she felt there was something bad in there. As Teresa was leaving, Danny brought a friend that he had met and played with a few other times over to the house. George told them to run along upstairs, but the boy named Bobby said that he didn't want to go upstairs and that he'd rather stay in the foyer of the first floor to play. That's when the Lutzes started to notice that the house made almost everyone who entered it uncomfortable. What if that boy Bobby was the really like the 20-year-old uh, friend of Ronald DeFeo, Bobby Kelsky? Oh, jeez. <laughs> He's like, I play with you in the house that I murdered all those people in. <laughs> Put your finger in this. <laughs> you, ever been, you ever shot hair, Ron, while you was on LSD? Come on, little kid. I saw you some rainbows. <laughs> Where did he touch you? <laughs> no, I wasn't saying anything bad like that. <laughs> Watch it. Uh, well, the same day, they were downstairs cleaning and moving things around. There was a small closet that opened into the space beneath the stairs. And between the staircase and the right-hand wall, plywood panels formed an additional closet extending out about seven feet with shelving that ran from the ceiling to the floor. This walk-in area, George thought, made good use of what would otherwise be wasted space. And its proximity to the kitchen stairs made a convenient pantry. Kathy was working in these closets when she was stacked some large, heavy canned goods against the closet's wall. One of the shelves cracked, and one side of the plywood paneling on the rear wall seemed to give a little. She moved the cans aside and pushed against the panel. It moved farther away from the shelving. And uh, after they got this secret door open, they discovered a room about four by five pe- feet uh, painted solid red from floor to ceiling. George thought that it smelled like blood in that room so it was like he i don't know if it was unclear like if he thought that it was painted with blood mm. very strange so uh one of kathy's first christmas gifts to george had been a huge four-foot ceramic lion crouched ready to leap upon an unseen victim and painted in un- in realistic colors George had thought it a pretty piece and had moved it into the living room where it now sat on a large table beside his chair near the fireplace Kathy turned and looked fully at the sculpture. She was sure she had seen it move just a few inches closer toward her. The same day, George also took a nasty tumble over the porcelain lion and fell heavily against some of the logs by the fireplace, cutting himself just above his right eye. (laughs) When Kathy inspected his rolled ankle, they were disturbed to find the clear imprint of teeth marks on his skin. It's like Dick Van Dyke when he trips over the ottoman. (laughs) 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 and they may they make it sound like it was just a regular lion when you know Mm. this thing happened to form teeth but the lion looks pretty menacing to begin with yeah he does yeah Yeah, he does it's got both all of its fangs out yeah but you know what though mike i i you know i don't i i i never told sammy this either but i was a little kid that i used to love playing underneath the stairs or on the stair that's where i was most of the time on the stairs? Yeah, yeah, because my basement was creepier than a motherfucker. But for some reason, I there was a, a, a refrigerator freezer that was there, and my dad got rid of it. So I would play under there. Mm. And, and and or before, so when you go down to my basement and you hook around, obviously you have to hook around to get to the stairs. But the other way, which is to the right, was his... Um, <clears throat> was his uh, tool room and I'd go in there and that's where the water heater was and I'd go in the back there and my mom and dad had this old safe which I have now and I I would just go in there and play with it and turn the dial and have my dudes with me and stuff like that and I, dude I was even a creepy kid back then hmm. what kind of dudes were you playing with back then you know like 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 army dudes and and space dudes nice you know 
Well, as George said, uh, George uh, stopped, sh- oh, as we said, George stopped showering and going to work. His only concern was to keep warm by keeping the fire going, and he began having strange thoughts. He clarified that they were not feelings. These thoughts, he believed, were not his own nature. Instead, they were coming from some other entity, and he knew the thoughts were not his own. So George started wondering if this entity had influenced Ronnie DeFeo's actions. George also noticed that he himself looked strikingly slim, similar to Ronnie DeFeo Jr. after he visited the Witch's Brew a couple of times and had a few drinks. He attempted to get some information about Ronnie and what really happened at the house, and the bartender kept telling him that he looked like Ronnie DeFeo. In an interview with Bill Jensen in 1999, Officer Pat Camaroto recalls being in the Amityville police station the day that George Lutz came in and gave them the gun. According to him, George brought the gun in and said he was afraid of having it because he thought the house was haunted. And George claimed that he was scared what he might do to his wife and kids if he kept the gun in the house. In Stephen Kaplan's Amityville conspiracy book, Kaplan claims that an unnamed officer told him that George had an impulse to shoot his wife and kids. But on Coast to Coast with Art Bell, uh, George had an interview on there. He said that the reason for handing his handgun in was because he was going into Manhattan on business and you were not legally allowed to take firearms with you, so he left it overnight there and simply collected it the next day. I don't know why he would've just wouldn't have left it at home. Yeah, I mean, dude. <clears throat> it sounds like, you know, they make a lot of excuses, like, uh, well, not a lot of excuses, but they seem to leave out, like, just how abusive uh, George might have been to the family and a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all in that documentary I was telling you about. Yeah, Danny, that's what you were saying. He, yeah, he, he says that George hit him all the time. Yeah. He was, like, putting him in headlocks and shit. No, yeah, see, right there, a guy like that should not have uh, any kind of a pistol or, or anything, man. When you have a temper like that, damn. Shouldn't have children. <laughs> So according to Jay Anson, while searching for answers, the Amityville Historical Society had some interesting information for George, particularly about the uh, very location of his house. They claimed that the Shinnecock Indians used the land on Amityville River as an enclosure for the sick, mad, and dying. These unfortunates were penned up until they died of exposure. However, the record noted that the Shinnecocks did not use this tract as a desec- uh, I'm sorry, as a consecrated burial mound because they believed it to be infested with demons. In the late 1600s, white settlers eased the Shinnecocks out of the area, sending them farther out to Long Island. Uh, to this day, the Shinnecocks still own land, property, and business on the eastern tip of the island. And I think this is some just some fucked up white people shit, probably. Like, they, these Shinnecocks did nothing to anybody. Dude, they wouldn't do that. Dude. Even I think I've read, I did hear something about, like, there was someone from this tribe that was like, why would we give a fuck what land you're on? Like, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, fuck you guys. We're not assholes like that. We're not, you know, cursing anybody's land. You, you know what, Sammy, you finding you find this information like that with, with the Indian stuff, you know, with the Indian guys? The, dude, that's fucked up, dude. That they had a place for the mad and dying, or the sick, the mad and dying. I'm, I'm going to stand by. I, I think it's a little, that was a little uh, exaggerated. You think so? I'm yeah. going to stand by Daniel Lutz and say that everything was George's fault because he was into some weird shit. And it, he brought it to the house and he brought it to the next house after they moved. Like, he was the one who was haunted. And all that shit happened because of him. He was haunted or carrying disturbed. a demon on his back. Haunting or disturbed, Mike? Haunted. Like, he, he was practicing whatever occult black magic bullshit yeah. that he was in, and yeah. he brought this upon him and his family. Yeah, who knows? He might have had some shit in the house, you know, like, uh, what do we call it, the psychomantium setup, something weird, maybe I mean, he's practicing some da- shit. Daniel Lutz says 
him and George were possessed. Well, uh, one of the more notorious settlers who came to the newly named Amityville in those days was a John Ketchum who had been forced out of Salem, Massachusetts for practicing witchcraft. John set up residence within 500 feet of where the house now stood, continuing his alleged devil worship. The account also claimed Ketchum was buried somewhere on the northeast corner of the property. So from the real estate tax assessment office in town, George learned that the house at 112 Ocean Avenue had been built in 1928 by a Mr. Monaghan. It passed through several families until 1965 when the DeFeos purchased it from the Rileys. But despite all he had read in the past two days, George was no closer to a solution of what the mysterious red room was used for or who built it. There was no record of any improvements being made to the house that resembled uh, the addition of the basement room. So it was just like, you know, who built that? Was that the DeFeos maybe that did that? Maybe they were murdering people in there. (laughs) (laughs) So George George also started to have dreams about finding secret caches of money around the house. Remember that big Ronnie was rumored to have secret stashes of mob money? And George was allegedly having money problems. But on New Year's Day, I'm sorry, New Year's Eve, Father Ray found blisters festering on his hands after getting an odd feeling and deciding to call the Lutz family to warn them that something evil was coming. His 103-degree fever had also returned. He saw a doctor and told him it could be anything from an allergic reaction to an anxiety response. Father Ray did not believe that the marks on his hands were a result of psychosomatic response, rather that it was something to do with his blessing of the Amityville house. And although he was not very familiar with the subject, he started to think very heavily about demonology. You ever heard of this stuff before, where demons will make you physically ill? Like I, I, I've heard blisters that. and I, yeah, yeah. There's there's like different levels. They say there's oppression, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, yeah, possession, yeah. Because didn't they, did, Mikey? Weren't they? Weren't they? Didn't they really get into it in uh, Exorcist uh, when when uh, Reagan was getting some of the bruises and the scratches and stuff like that? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, at the Lutz's home, the kids had fallen asleep, and just after midnight, Kathy and George sat in front of the fire. Kathy says that she stared into the fireplace, hypnotized by the flames, when she noticed something strange materializing in the fire. A white outline against the blackened bricks becoming more distinct. What materialized was a demon with horns and and a white peaked hood on its head. It was getting larger and looming towards her. She saw that half of its face was blown off, uh, blown away as if it was hit with a shotgun blast at close range. Screaming and waking up George, who had drifted asleep, all Kathy could do was point to the fireplace. George followed her gaze, and he too saw a white figure that had burned itself into the soot against the rear bricks of the fireplace. Very creepy. Into the soot. Into the soot. (laughs) So George and Kathy went to bed around 1 a.m. in the morning on New Year's Day. Uh, soon after, they were awakened by the sound of wind tearing through the house. The blankets on their bed were torn from their bodies, and all the windows were wide open. The door to their room had also slammed shut, and when they went to check on the children, they noticed Missy's bedroom door was also shut. They burst into her room, worried that, uh, worried about her, and they were met with a blast of extremely hot air, like walking into a fire, even though the rest of the house was ice cold. Missy was fast asleep in her bed, but in the corner of the room, the rocking chair was rocking back and forth like there was someone watching over her as she slept. That's Jody. Mm. (laughs) Well, later that night, as George and Kathy were about to go to bed, they saw two beady red eyes staring at them from outside the living room window. George ran outside to check what it was and found a line of footprints in the fresh snow leading around the back of the house. 
The prints have been left by cloven hooves like it was an enormous pig. Uh, when George <laughs> went out the next day to inspect them in the daylight, he followed the trail of prints, which led to the garage. He then found the side door to it had been ripped almost entirely from its metal frame. Whatever this is, this this Jody is cockstrong. Yeah, uh, you know what? It's, it's funny he said that. Why are demons so cockstrong, Mikey? This is the power of hell. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because they're running with the devil. <laughs> hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, man. You never see a weak-ass fucking demon or, 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 you know, like a possession thing. They always have cockstrong strength, dude. I think, live my life like there's yeah, that... no tomorrow. <laughs> You're not gonna say it, so. I was gonna. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. That's some DLR for you, hey, baby. Uh, hey, uh, Twisted Sister. Oh, take it easy, oh, take it easy over there. Take it easy over there. I'll put some guitars in there, like you were, uh, Danny Lutz. <laughs> Lutz. Chief. Chief Lutz. Lutz. <laughs> oh God. Oh God Almighty. <laughs> hey, 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 Mikey. Yeah, like, in the in the doc- don't, don't do that. Don't do that. In the documentary, Danny Lutz is like, you know, yeah. you love David Lee Roth. I love Danny David Lutz. Lee. Goes, yeah, I'm all fucked up about ghosts, but you know what? I work for the post office, <laughs> and there's nothing fucking ghosts can do for me that the federal government hasn't already fucking done. <laughs> Fuck you! I'm out of here. <laughs> Wicked awesome. We over here. Wicked awesome. <laughs> Well, Kathy felt that embrace again. This time, she was doing laundry when the grip around her waist tightened. It was stronger than the familiar woman's touch she had experienced in the kitchen. Kathy sensed that a man was holding her, increasing the pressure as she struggled. So she has to be let go of, and the pressure eased suddenly. Then the hands released her waist. She felt them move up to her shoulders, and slowly her body was being turned around to face the unseen presence. So in her terror, Kathy became aware of the overwhelming stench of the same cheap perfume. Then another pair of hands gripped her wrists. Kathy says she sensed a struggle going on over possession of her body and that somehow she had been trapped between two powerful forces. Escape was impossible and she felt she was going to die. The pressure on her body became overwhelming and Kathy passed out. When she came to, she was lying half off the bed with her head almost touching the floor. Danny had come into the room to answer her call. And Kathy knew the presences were gone then. That's got to be fucked up for a little kid, too, to come up and see your mom all. Yeah. Yeah. Passed out. Yeah. So on the morning of uh, January 2nd, Father Ray again blessed the Lutz home. He didn't perform the ceremony in Amityville, but at the church in Long Island Rectory. In the church, the priest held a votive mass, which is a mass that does not correspond with one arranged for the day, but it is said for a special intention at the choice of the celebrant. After the vote of math, f- mass, Father Ray returned to his apartment to find an astounding odor of human shit permeating the place. He gagged and managed to throw open all the windows. The freezing air rushed in, providing momentary relief, but the stench overpowered even the cold wind. Father Ray ran to his bathroom to see if somehow the toilet had backed up, but there was nothing wrong with the plumbing. Rather, Father Ray then remembered one of the lessons he learned in demonology, demonology that the odor of dookie always associated with with the appearance of the devil well dude that devil must live in me boy (laughs) that sal is full of the devil the odor of the dookie or the order of the dookie i'm telling you it doesn't matter (laughs) the odor (laughs) 
if you smell dookie, that means the Sammy, devil's around. Sammy, this stuff that you're reading, is this about your uncle? Yeah, there, yeah there's a lot of are shit you, are you in trying to story. tell me something? Taco demon. Shit demon. Uh, well, at the same time, the Lutz family was also uh, started to smell the same odor. George tracked it down to the red room in the basement. So this demon was down there. On January 3rd, at around 11 p.m. at night, George and Kathy were discussing having someone who specializes in haunted houses over to investigate. When they moved into the living room to continue their discussion, they were surprised to see that the lion uh, that George had moved up to the sewing room after being bitten by it uh, was on the table next to the recliner with its jaws open, baring its teeth at them. But that's like we said, how it always is. (laughs) So George scooped it up and threw it outside in the garbage. Dude, that's a very disturbing looking little statue of of a lion. Yeah, so they're saying possibly the entity was using this to convey that he was pissed off that they were going to have someone come over and investigate. Yeah, because because ninety percent what also Mikey? that the that the lion teleported from the sewing room down to the yeah. living room. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, come on, Mikey, ninety percent it's dolls, chairs, uh, closets. You know, well, if you look at like uh, the Warrens Museum, all their uh, knickknacks that are supposedly have you know something attached to them, they're all different kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Which which I thought was fantastic. Uh, I mean, was it was it way overboard? Hell yeah! But it it worked for them with the room with the with the you know with the Annabelle in it and that is a destination. The, 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 for the me little toy. One and, of these days, I, I I definitely want to see the Warrens Museum. I I I, I don't know if they've opened it again. Oh, it, might be, it might be closed for a while. I heard yeah, they had some zoning issues or something, uh, and it wasn't open. It's, it's but that would be cool. Thing. It's a yeah. Sunday thing. Yeah. Anyway. Open that back up, damn it. <laughs> Mike needs needs to check that out. Where the key at, Sammy? (laughs) So on January 4th, Kathy fell asleep out of exhaustion. George dozed off, waking occasionally to listen groggily for any unnatural noises in the house. He says that he has no idea how long he'd been laying there before he heard music of a marching band downstairs. His head was keeping time to the drum beats before he realized he was actually listening to the music. Glancing at Kathy to see if she'd been awakened, he heard her breathe deeply, fast asleep, so George ran out of the room and into the hall and heard the stomp of marching feet get louder. He thought there must be at least 50 musicians parading around on the first floor, but the moment he hit the bottom step and turned on the hall light, the sound ceased. George, still frozen on the stairs, but the house was completely still, he then heard uh, breathing behind him but realized that it was Kathy. He was struck with a fear about leaving her alone, so he raised back up the steps two at a time and into his room. He turned on a light, and what he saw was Kathy floating two feet above the bed. She was slowly drifting away from him and towards the windows. George yelled and jumped on the bed to grab his wife, who was stiff as a board in his hands, but her drifting stopped. George felt the resistance to his pull and let a sudden release of pressure, and he and Kathy fell heavily off the bed onto the floor. The fall awakened her, and she was confused as to what happened, but George just told her that she rolled off the bed. Didn't want to stir things up. Hmm. So then on uh, January 5th, Father Ray was able to get through to the Lutz home via telephone and tell them that he performed another blessing of the house at church. Uh, George informed him that the house was as active as ever and that he was scared for his family. As Yeah, he was, he was scared for his family. So Father Ray was in the middle of telling George that he would try to make another visit when he felt better, but was interrupted by loud moans and a crackling sound that almost shattered their eardrums. Father Ray was then smacked hard across the face again, and he dropped the phone, started crying, and prayed. 
Keeps wonder, getting his ass handed to him. It made me laugh too to think of like the loud moans, not as like, oh, but as like, ha, 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 ha. They, those of a sexual nature. Yeah. Fuck oh. me, father. Fuck me. Oh. Fuck me. Yeah. You know what? You know what? You're something like here. something like that. Now that would anger me if I was if I was if I was you know if something like that was happening to me, and then you get pimps laughed. What the fuck was that for? <laughs> oh, come on! I was just getting into it. <laughs> it made me laugh that he started crying. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, <laughs> demons have some some fucked up senses of humor, man. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I love it though. I would be a demon. <laughs> later that night, George was uh, awake late at night again when he decided to go check on Harry. George was outside, about to reach down and shake the dog when he heard a uh, marching band strike up in the house again. He ran back in through the kitchen, hearing drums and horns blasting away in the living room, and hearing the stomping of many feet as he tore through the hallway. Uh, the lights were still on, but he couldn't see that there was no one in the living room. The very instant that he could see into the living room, the music had cut itself off. George looked about wildly, screaming, You sons of bitches! He sounds like <laughs> Nicolas Cage in this. You sons of bitches! Where are you? The bees! Not the bees! <laughs> he then realized that every piece of furniture had been moved. The chairs, couches, and tables had been pushed against the walls, and the rug had been yet rolled up. <sighs> I like the way some bitches is <laughs> Sons of bitches. You sons of bitches! <laughs> oh. After uh, trying to get an exorcism approved, Father Ray's superiors considered the following. One, fraud and deception. Two, natural scientific causes. Three, parapsychological causes. Four, diabolical influences. Or five, miracles. Yeah, but did you hear what Sammy said? Did you ever see me just said before he read all this, he would like to be a demon? You know, is it bad that there's times <laughs> where I thought that? I would like, because there's some motherfuckers out there that just piss me off, and I would be a demon to come and fucking put so much mayhem on them. I, I wouldn't hurt little kids. I wouldn't hurt little kids. I wouldn't kill anybody, but I sure would make sure you were scared the fuck out of your fucking skin. Demon of vengeance. Dude. It'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, move shit around and fucking, you know, pull your blanket off and... You know, little tricks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just just some shit to fuck with your head. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting aggravated. <laughs> what would be your like your go to trick? You think you got any I, good ones? I I would have to say upper decker. What's an upper? You don't know what an upper decker is? It means you take the toilet lid off and you take a shit into the tank and leave it there. <laughs> What's supposed to happen is that the next time someone flushes the tank, instead of fresh water coming down, <laughs> shit water comes down. <laughs> Upper Decker. You just really forget what, what Sammy just asked me. I would have to say, I would have to say, I wouldn't kill anybody, but I'd make sure their car was fucked up, you know, like with a flat or a broken window, you son of a bitch. You know, something, something that. A lot of people be like, well, at least I wasn't hurt. Fuck that. You're going to get aggravated. If you come out and you see your tires are flattened or whatever, you, I would do some childish shit like that. I think I would punish people with nightmares like the one from uh, uh, American Werewolf in London. The nightmare that he has about like, the the uh, Nazi monsters. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a fun one. Yeah, yeah. But like constantly punish someone with nightmares like that. Yeah. Now mm. that, that would be some vengeance. Yeah. I, I, mean, I always I, I tie your shoes together at night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like like I told Sammy, you know, I, I noticed my temper is getting a little 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 more out there. But it mixed the salt and pepper up. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, 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 I would I would I would do some shit like. Does this coke taste like Pepsi? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I've had that taste in my mouth before. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so fraud and trickery didn't seem plausible because George and Kathleen Lutz seemed to be normal, balanced individuals. Same with Father Ray. This is what the, uh, the, the chancellors at the archdiocese thought, by the way. And uh, the possibilities, therefore, were reduced to psychological, parapsychological, or diabolical influences. They excluded the miraculous explanation because the divine would not involve itself in such in the trivial and foolish, such as shit jokes. You know what I'm talking about, Sal? <laughs> I feel you, bruh. I feel you. But you know what, though? This this pissed me off. You know why? There were so many, so many fucking uh, 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 demonology, demon movies. And here's what I would do. If I was a priest and, and, and Mikey, you were my boss and we had to get permission from Sammy, fuck that going ass shit. Sam, come in, come in my car and Big Mike and we're going to go to this fucking person's house. You're going to see it for yourself. Why don't these motherfuckers do that, Mikey? I thought you were going to say, come in my car. We'll no. smoke weed about it. We'll come up with a good plan. <laughs> You want to see demons? Cell's got the hair on. You'll see some demons. Yeah. LSD will give first, you some fucking first, demons, my friend. Father Sam, shoot up this hair on. Father Mike, you take the needle right after. Yeah, you'll see some hell of demons. No, seriously, man. That pisses me off. These motherfuckers go see these teams of fucking uh, doctors and, 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 and popes and whatever, whatever. Man, bring those motherfuckers to where it's happening. Show them. Let, let them grab his dick. Instead, they brought the warrants. <laughs> you know, like they did on fucking, you know, when that guy grabbed the, the doctor, the one doctor's dick when Reagan drank. Fuck, the troll in there. Close the door. Oh, I get what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? The exorcist. That fucking <laughs> angers me. Oh, I love that scene. I'm speaking to the entity inside Reagan right now. Oh. When she looks at him, she goes, grabs his fucking junk. Fuck, dude. That face she makes. Uh, well, therefore, the explanation would seem to include hallucination and auto-suggestion, uh, like the invisible touches Kathy experienced uh, and when George thought he heard the marching band. But let's take the parapsychological line. Parapsychologists like Dr. Ryan, who works at the Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, define four main operations in the science. Uh, the first three come under the general heading of extrasensory perception. They are mental telepathy, clairvoyance, and precognition, which could explain George's visions and picking up information that seems to coincide with known facts about the DeFeos. The fourth parapsychological area is psychokinesis, where the objects move by themselves, and that would be the case with the ceramic lion, like we were talking about. So instead of an exorcism, Father Ray's superior suggested that the Lutzes contact an investigative organization like Dr. Rhines in North Carolina to come in, do extensive training, and most likely find a logical explanation short of diabolical influence. When Father Ray got a hold of George to give him the name and number of a cyclical research institute in North Carolina, George was confused by why the priest refused to come back out, not knowing that Father Ray had been given orders by the chancellors of his diocese to stay away from the Lutz family. That's a little weird there. Yeah, it is. I think they thought he was just having like fever dreams and he kind of was obsessing about the Lutzes. Yeah, because isn't when you get a fever, you start hallucinating really bad? Kind of, yeah. 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 Well, Father Ray also received a phone call after he hung up with George. This was from the priest who drove him home when he had car troubles. The other priest told him that he received a phone call that said, 
Tell the priest not to come back or he'll die. Expect it. <laughs> He's from probably Australia? Started, yeah, from like Malcolm McDowell kind of. Oh, okay. We are dirty one. <laughs> I thought that was Mikey's guy at first. So yeah, so the priest like didn't know who this was. He kept saying like, who is this? And the guy's like, you know who it is. <laughs> you, you know what? You know what? If a voice comes out of Sammy or you, Mikey, instead if, if you were to levitate or fucking throw Sammy's room on fire... They wouldn't bother me. But if you fucking start talking to, in a different voice, I'm the fuck out of there. Like this? I Don't do it, Mikey. <laughs> Ooh. I don't. That could come in handy later. Dude. I, <laughs> for a little girl voice, I need to do. <laughs> Mike's going to do a little girl voice later. What's wrong with this, Al? That is fucking scary, though. No, seriously, Mikey. I'm serious, buddy. There's been so many movies that hey, I've shut seen. shut the fuck up, Sal. <laughs> I'll come to your house and possess you, Sal. I'm, I'm not scared. Hold on a minute. That's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> like some of the voices, I swear to God, that fucking voice from um, from the movie I just told you that the damn it, um, the entity. Man, oh, yeah. that voice. You know what, Mikey? That voice disturbed me more than uh, Exorcist's voice. It did. It did. I listened to that part, and man, I can't sleep for a couple hours. <laughs> just, I don't know what it is there, about that. There was that. some like weird graphic shit in there. Like, yeah, uh, dude. The, the son walks into his mother's room, and she's naked on the bed, and her her, her breasts are getting felt. like, yeah. like yeah. you know, grabbed by this invisible demon yeah. or whatever, and she's just like looking at him like. Like she's helpless, and he's screaming, "Get off of her!" I, I don't know what it is about that. I don't know what it is about that and entities that crawl. I was watching no. The Wretched the other day. Uh. It was one of the best. Uh, oh, the new one from like twenty twenty yeah, or something. It, that was it, cool. It, it, it was one of the best. Uh, it had all the bones I've seen. that crack. Yeah, you know, yeah. We should uh, we should look it up. Entities based on a true story. Yes, yeah. yes. Because because didn't it say at the end uh, the the attacks went down? You know, weren't as severe, but they were still happening to her. I think so. Yeah. Well, on January sixth, George again awoke to Kathy levitating about a foot above the bed. George instinctively re- reached out, grabbed her hair, and yanked her down. Kathy floated back to him and then fell back onto the bed and woke up. George turned on the nightstand uh, light next to him and gasped. He was looking at a ninety-year-old woman. Her hair was wild and white. Her face was a mass of wrinkles and ugly lines, and saliva was dripping from her toothless mouth. George was so revolted he wanted to flee from the room. And Kathy's eyes set. Uh, he had, she had deep-set wrinkles uh, on her face. They were looking at him questionably. Kathy sensed fright in her husband's face, so she leapt from the bed and ran into the bathroom. She flicked on the light above the mirror, and staring at her own face, she screamed. Kathy had aged about 40 years into an old hag. By morning, she returned to her old self, but the effects of the aging process had taken a toll on her physically. You know, that scene in the first film is pretty creepy. Yeah. What, tell yeah. me again the actress's name that played Kathy. She was Lois Lane. Yeah. Uh Margot Kidder. Yeah, why yeah. would I? Why Margot, Kidder. Margot Kidder. Margot uh, Kidder. And, and you know what's scary, Mikey? That was she up. really went nuts. She did go nuts. Later. Yeah. I mean, Sammy, do you, I, yeah. I mean, call it fate, call it karma, you call it what you want, man, but. It's called drugs. Dude, no. Yeah. Was, was she drinking a lot too? Was she I, drinking I a lot, Mikey? She was off. I, I, she, was I, the, she was eating grass and shit. She was I, naked. I think it was she because. Was, she was like covered in mud and shit. Yeah, I, I think it was because she was such an icon at first. And then when she got that Superman role, she shot like Carrie Fisher straight to straight to the stars. And then when it all ended, 
Because look at look at Carrie Fisher, another one, man. Big drunk. Dude. Margot Kidder was also great in uh, that movie Sisters. Have you ever seen yeah, that? I didn't see that. It was a De Palma film. She plays twins. Yeah. Oh, anything De Palma yeah. is, man. Black Christmas. Yeah. 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 That, that was a great one. I And you know what? Until you and Sam told me to watch that, I'm like, oh, my God. They didn't tell me Margot Kidder was. I mean, yeah. dude. Her and uh, Olivia Hussey. Great movie. I'll always remember Olivia Hussey from Jesus of Nazareth. She was Mary. I don't know if I've seen that. Oh, man, we had to watch it at school. Really? <laughs> I think I've seen that. <laughs> All right, well, moving on to January 7th, um, Eric, a young engineer who worked at George's company, arrived at the Lutz's home with his girlfriend, Francine, who claimed to be a clairvoyant medium and have experience with the supernatural. So after smelling perspiration and other odors, Francine, the medium, uh, sensed at least two ordinary ghosts, that is, earthbound spirits of humans, who, for whatever reason, remain attached to a particular locale long after their physical death and usually want no more than to be left alone to enjoy the spot that they become accustomed to while on Earth. The woman, whose touch and perfume were perceived by Kathy, Francine cited, was an old woman, uh, may have been that of the house's original tenant who only wanted to reassure the new young woman, Kathy, basically, who found her kitchen such attractive, pleasant spot. Before she left, Francine appeared to go into a trance. Out of her mouth came a different voice, heavier and more masculine. It said, I would like to make one suggestion to you. Most people find out who their spirits are and find that they like them. They don't want them to get lost or to go away. But in this case, I feel the house should be cleared or exercised. George immediately recognized this voice as Father Ray's, and it was oh. coming through this woman, Francine. The wretched crone. Very weird. Yeah, that ain't, that ain't happening. Later that night, uh, George went upstairs to, uh, to his bedroom. He then stopped before he reached the second floor landing, seeing that the banister above him was wretched from its moorings, torn almost completely off of the floor foundation. You'd have to be a gorilla like Sal to do that. Just tear that fucking banister yeah, off. Dude. G-Rilla. You got you got Mikey. When G-Rilla. You, when you have that, G-Rilla. when you have that cock strong strength, man. Oh when? boy. What do you oh, mean? Oh boy. Mine's never left. Hello. <laughs> He's eating the spinach. Hello. <laughs> All right. Well, on January eighth, Kathy's brother Jimmy and his bride Carrie returned from their honeymoon and stayed over at the Lutz home for one night. They slept in Missy's room, and at one point in the night. Carrie woke up to a vision of a sickly little boy asking her for help and asking where Missy and Jody were. That's creepy. I don't yeah. like little kid ghosts. I, 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 I... <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know where they are. Get out! <laughs> sickly little boy. Like like, like the Ouija, uh, like that Ouija movie, that little girl, when she said to, to her sister's boyfriend, do you know what it's like to be strangled? Dude. Sammy's right. That was, that was an insanely disturbing part. Sammy's right. Like, oh, dude, you can see, Mikey? You got to be nice to little kids. <laughs> dude. Uh, George and Kathy then decided to take matters into their own hands and plus the house themselves. They grabbed a silver crucifix in an attempt to cleanse the evil from the home. George held it with both hands. Cassie grasped onto George's arm, and they began walking around the house trying to rid it of its evil. That's when things really got bad. They continued blessing each room, opening a window in the room, saying the Lord's Prayer, and commanding the entity to leave in the name of God. Suddenly, they heard a chorus of voices scream out, 
Will you stop? <laughs> <laughs> they quickly realized that not That's only did I their... sound, man, when I'm screaming at my family. <laughs> <laughs> Will you stop? <laughs> they quickly realized that not only did their mock ceremony not work, but it seemed to have actually angered the spirits even more. That Fuck, it made me, me uh, jump against some. You, you remember the bitch. old commentator, Gorilla Monsoon? <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he would yell at Bobby Heenan. He could say, Will you stop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could love it. Gorilla Monsoon was the greatest. Oh, was the, they were like the he best, they were the best uh, comic duo. Love that dude, man. Great commentators. <laughs> well, the family also began noticing drops of green gelatinous slime scattered about the house. Again, they blamed the kids, thinking that they might have mixed up a slimy <laughs> concoction and made a mess. But the next time it happened, the kids were at school, and it was kind of like drops of gelatin or like jello on the carpet, they said. Going room to room, it would slide down the, the walls. Um, on January 10th, Kathy woke up with hot streaks on her body just above her pubic hairline to the bottom of her breasts. The streaks were flaming red as though she had been burned by a hot poker slashed laterally across her torso. The welts were also hot to the touch and disappeared later that day. Remember we said that happened also with the Annabelle doll with Lou? Mm. When it scratched him, he had the seven claw marks on yes, him. Yes. It was the same way. I'll, I'll, Hot. I'll tell you again, man. Again, our bodies, boy. I'll never forget. Uh, I, I was with some friends, and and I I can't see what bar I was at. But anyway, I came home. The blue oyster. N- n- did you tell him, Mike? No, uh, dude. I I wasn't I, there. No I fucking asked me. I had to have a change in, in my medications, and I swear, dude. Lump, big these big huge lumps were all over, man. They were all over, like you know my belt. You know where my belt is, my You're back, possessed. my neck. No, it was uh, my blood pressure. I'm telling you, dude. Sometimes you know, know it just snapped into my head that you ever see that part in uh, "It's Always Sunny in uh, Philadelphia" when Danny DeVito, the guy's talking about AIDS, being on a, <laughs> the AIDS uh, uh, walk or something, and Danny DeVito goes, "You touch anybody?" <laughs> <laughs> That's what I just thought of with. But, but but like I said, I showed friends because I pulled down my shirt, Mikey, on my neck part, and I go, "Dude, is there a lump on my?" And they were they were like these big huge amoebas on me, dude, and. It was it was my blood pressure medicine. It was it wasn't working for me anymore. So I went and fucking got new stuff. No, and immediately the no, next day you're just possessed. No, stop it. <laughs> I'm just glad little dudes didn't come out of my neck. Down there at the blue oyster. <laughs> yeah, Sad, like said hot 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 hot. <laughs> hey, I'm leading. <laughs> Sal's just there in a wig. Can I cut in? <laughs> no, you know how I cleared out the blue oyster, Mike? I went and took a shit. <laughs> oh, As they were playing Macho Band. <laughs> yeah. You've Thank gone you. too far, sir. Thank You've you. gone too far. <laughs> oh, my God. Alright, well, that night, uh, Danny was suddenly heard crying out in pain. Kathy raced ahead of George up the stairs to their bedroom, where Kathy stood at the uh, I'm sorry, where Danny stood at the window, the fingers of his right hand trapped under the window. Uh, with his uh, left, he was trying to push up the heavy wooden frame. George tried to slide the window back up, but it refused to budge. He hammered at the frame, but instead of releasing itself, the window vibrated, only hurting Danny more. In his frustration, George had become furious and started a curse, shouting obscenities at his unseen, unknown enemies. Suddenly, the window came free on its own and shot up a few inches, freeing Danny. He grabbed uh, he grabbed his fingers in his other hand, cradling them and crying hysterically for his mother. Uh, Kathy screamed when she saw what his fingers looked like, all except the thumb were strangely flat. 
Even more, frightened by his mother's anguished cry, Danny jerked his hand away and George exploded. Running like a madman again from room to room, he screamed in a tirade, challenging whatever was doing this to his family to come out and fight. <laughs> so there was as much of a storm that raging. Would me. That would be me. That window scene with the little kid and the window came down on his hands. Yeah. I laughed so fucking <laughs> So there was much of a storm raging inside uh, 112 Ocean Avenue as outside as Kathy chased after her husband, asking him to call a doctor for Danny. Uh, the Brunswick Hospital Center is on Broadway in Amityville, no more than a mile from the Lutz home. But because of the hurricane-force winds raging through Long Island's south shore, it took George almost 15 minutes to get there. The intern on duty, on duty was amazed at the condition of Danny's fingers, which were flattened from the cuticle to the second knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but though they certainly look crushed beyond repair, they were not broken with no smashed bones or cartilage. And he, uh, the doctor bandaged them securely, Ooh. gave George some children's aspirin for Danny, and suggested they return home. If I had a flat hand, I'd have no problem unlocking my doors. <laughs> It'd be like something out of like Tom and Jerry. <laughs> The doctor's like, buddy, listen, uh, talking to George, he's like, you you smell like shit. Yeah. I'm just curious, uh, did you break this little kid's fingers? He's like, no, it was a fucking demon, my friend. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, okay. Why don't you sit here? I'm going to have take, to call DCFS take on Take two you. of these and call me in the morning. Yeah, that, 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 that just reminded me, with the, with the smashed fingers, Sammy just read, that just reminded me of that scene in, in the collection when the guy was trying to get out of the cage and nobody could reach the lever, so he rebroke his arm. Do you mm-hmm. remember that part? Oh, that was brutal. Do you mean again. the lever? The lever? Do you remember that, Mikey? <laughs> I gotta watch it again. Ooh, that was. I think they're making a third one, aren't they? They were supposed to, and and uh, it didn't go through. Because mm. I'm telling you, those first two were just as good to me, even now, as well as Don't Breathe. The collector and the collection. The, the right? collector and the collection, mm. and breathe. Don't breathe and Don't Breathe Two are my favorites. Favorites. I love those movies. Sorry about that. How good. <laughs> Love them. Well, at 6.30 a.m., George was awakened by the rain spattering against his face. For an instant, he thought he was outdoors, but he was still inside in his chair by the window. Uh, jumping up, he saw that every window in the room was wide open, some frames torn away from their jams. He then heard the wind and rain coming through the other parts of the house. He rushed out of the bedroom and found that every room he went into was the same condition. Window panes broken, the doors in the second floor and third floors smashed open, even though everyone had been locked and bolted by George himself. All the Lutzes had slept through what must have been a terrible racket. But in the morning, they discovered that the battering rain and wind of the night before had left the house a complete mess. Rainwater had stained the walls, curtains, and furniture and rugs from the first floor to the third floor. Uh, Ten of the windows had broken panes and several of their locks bent out completely out of shape, making it impossible to shut tightly. The locks and the doors of the sewing room and playroom were twisted and forced out of their metal frames, and these couldn't be closed at all, so... uh, in the kitchen, some of the cabinets were also soaked and warped. Paint was chipped on the corners of almost every cabinet. George didn't have the hardware to replace the catches on the windows, so he used a pair of pliers to twist off the smashed pieces of metal. He then hammered heavy nails into the edges of the wooden frames and challenged his unseen foes. Let me see you pull those out, you sons of bitches! <laughs> if you smell! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, this is he's like these jabroni ass motherfuckers, candy ass ghosts. This is what pisses me off about people. Okay, if a ghost could move your furniture, move you around, 
and close open and close the windows. You stupid motherfuckers! You think a fucking nail's gonna stop them? The, the ghosts have good, cock strong strength, man, and they're gonna with, fucking yank hey, those nails right out. You're messing with George Lutz over here. <laughs> yeah. He also boarded up the sewing room, just found some some wood and some nails, and said, "Fuck that." I mean, have you watched some of the zombie movies? A lot of zombies have cock strong strength and can pulse right through that shit. So what makes you think an enemy can't fucking pull out? You dumb motherfuckers! It's always my favorite when Jason just busts through every door. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what does he like, Mikey? He likes uh, throwing people through the window. Strong. Yes, he does. He loves throwing people through the window. That's because he's a mongoloid. That's right. I'd, I'd be a great mongoloid. You already are. You, oh, <laughs> you got it down, man. You got it down. A, A number one. A number one. Well, as the day came to a close, the whole family was in the master bedroom. Uh, the three children were in bed, and George and Kathy were sitting up in chairs next to the damaged windows. The room seemed overly warm, and everyone's eyes had begun to sting. George and Kathy... <laughs> Pink eye. <laughs> George and Kathy thought it was from fatigue. Um, one after another, they drifted off. First Missy, <sighs> then Chris, then Danny, Kathy, and finally George. Within 10 minutes, everyone was fast asleep. But very shortly after, George was rudely shoved awake by Kathy. She and the children were standing in front of his chair with tears in their eyes. George asked what was the matter, and they told him that he was screaming that he was coming apart. So George remembered that he had been sitting in the chair when suddenly he felt a powerful grip lift the chair up with him in it and slowly turn him around. Powerless to move, George saw the hooded figure he had first seen in the living room fireplace with its ha uh, blasted half-face glaring at him. The horribly disfigured features became clearer to George. Then he saw his own face emerge from beneath the white hood. It was torn in two, and that's when George, correcting Kathleen, he said he yelled, I'm coming unglued! <laughs> this needs to be a Nick Cage remake right oh, here. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds did not do it justice. Oh, why did you have to bring that shithead's name up? They, uh, sh they should have had Cage. I fucking hate that guy. No, I like Nicholas. I just hate that fucking other yep. idiot. Yep. <laughs> You're not the only one. I hate him more than you hate uh, uh, Jason Statham. Statham? Statham. Same thing. God damn it. Get tired it, you, get you it motherfuckers checking my <laughs> homework. I'm becoming unglued, I am. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is it like? The meg The Megalodon. <laughs> The megalodon. <laughs> it's a bloody megalodon. <laughs> That's what he's. Never mind. Never mind. I was gonna talk about the toilet. It's a bloody megalodon. Get the bikey. So Missy began telling George and Kathy about a friend that visited her in the house by the name of Jody, like we were talking about earlier. She claimed that Jody could take any form from the smallest animal or doll to enormous in size. Missy claimed that Jody gave her a choice of the form it would take, either a little boy or a pig. Being a five-year-old girl, Missy chose the pig. At first, George and Kathy did not take their young girl's stories very seriously, writing them off as a child's imagination. However, as the weeks went on and the strange events continued, they took on a creepier tone. One day, she said that Jody told her about the little boy who used to live in her room. She looked around to see if anyone was listening, and as she told Kathy in a whisper, she went like, He died. <laughs> That's fucking creepy. Yeah. So Missy said that the little boy got sick and he died, and that Jody informed her that she... <laughs> what is so funny about him getting sick and dying? You laugh at the weirdest shit. So the, little, so the little boy got sick and died, and Jody informed her she, Missy, would live in the house forever to play with the little boy. Uh, Jody also said that he was an angel. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This little dude just had a grabber and died, 
And this chick is playing with him? He didn't have a heart attack and died. He well, was I'm, just saying, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, I'm just giving you an example. What, Mike? You don't rub your head. Yeah, dude, dude, dude. If, 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 you know, if that were me and I'm a little kid and somebody dies in front of me, the first thing I'm going to do is go through his wallet. Then I'm going to call his parents. But if I had a little kid that came into my house and said she could turn herself into a pig or any object, I'm getting the, I'm going to kick her in the stomach. I'm getting the fuck out of there. This is an imaginary friend. Oh, that's different. Mm-hmm. Or was it? <laughs> Was it the devil? <laughs> the little kid. <laughs> well, Missy continued telling stories about uh, this imaginary friend, claiming that Jody could only be seen by those that it chose. Missy even drew a picture of what appeared to be a pig or a cat that she claimed was Jody. <laughs> and on uh, January 12th, George and Kathy tried to explain to her that Jody did not exist. Missy pointed out uh, to the window and said, Jody is outside and wants to come in. George and Kathy looked towards the window and saw two bright red menacing eyes peering through the window from the outside. In shock and fear, Kathy stood up and hurled a chair at the window, and the chair hit the wall. They heard a squeal, and then they saw eyes quickly vanish. Uh, Kathy picked up Missy and raced into the other room while George raced over to the window. George looked around in a panic, but there was nothing in sight. And besides, this was the second floor. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, George and uh, Kathy became increasingly worried about Missy. She began acting stranger and stranger, seemingly the the most affected of all the children. Kathy recalls that Missy would constantly sing in one bedroom of the house when she'd be singing. Silent night, holy night. Yeah, then Missy would leave the room and stop singing abruptly once she crossed the threshold of the doorway. However, returning to the room, she would pick up the lyrics of the song from the exact words she had stopped from previously. Missy would return to the room, crossing back over the threshold, and finish. It's gone all this bright. Fuck Christmas. Fuck Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) On January 13th, the family felt it safest to all sleep in the master bedroom. At 3.15 a.m., George heard a marching band strike up downstairs again. This time, he didn't go down to investigate. He just told himself that it was all in his head, and when he went down, there would be nothing to see. So he sat in a chair watching Kathy and the children, listening as the musicians paraded up and down his living room, horns and drums blasting away loud enough to be heard half a mile away. All during the maddening performance, Kathy and the children did not awaken. So finally, George must have dozed off in his chair because Kathy awoke to hear him screaming. He was yelling in two different languages she had never heard before. She ran to his chair on the other side of the bed to shake him out of his dream. George began groaning, and when Kathy touched him, he cried out in another completely different voice, It's in Chris's room! It's in Chris's room! So, uh, yeah, from his position, he could be uh, he could see clear to the boys' room on the third floor. He had been watching a shadowy figure approach Chris's bed. He tried to rush to Chris's side and grab him away from the menacing shape, but George couldn't get up from his chair. He was pinned to the seat by a firm hand on his shoulders. The shadow hovered over Chris, and then George, helpless, shouted, It's in Chris's room! I'm just doing him as Nicolas Cage from now on. Dude. (laughs) No one ever heard him. Uh, Then the pressure on his shoulders lifted, and George felt himself being pushed. His arms came free, and he could see Chris was out of bed, wrapped inside inside of the dark shape. And that's when he snapped out of it, with Kathy waking him. So Chris overheard what George was saying and said that he actually did get up earlier while everybody was else was asleep to use the bathroom. The bathroom on the second floor was locked, so he went upstairs and found it spooky that he could look through the floor and see the family asleep in the bedroom below him. All right, that's fucked up. Yeah. That's fucked up. We heard dude. that with the 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 parent family too. Yeah. Remember Andrea said yeah. that? Take a yeah. see that yeah. happening to our mother. Yeah. 
Creepy. Huh. Well, according to the Lutz family, something ungodlike occurred every night of their 28-day torment, but the last night in the house was by was the worst by far. George had lost approximately 28 pounds in 28 days, managing to lose a pound a day. The last night in the house, the noises downstairs on the first floor were just incredible, sounding like 50 or 100 people tuning up instruments and slamming doors. The front door would slam, and Harry the dog would get up, throw up, and then lie back down for no reason. George said that he was lying in bed, there was no pressure on him, yet he was unable to move as he heard hooves stomping all around him. Doors were opening and slamming shut, and the children's beds were slamming violently up and down on the floor, just overhead, and he could not get up to help them. At 3.15am, Kathy's body levitated several feet off the bed. George lay in shock as he watched his wife float in the air helplessly. Multiple horrifying screams also echoed throughout the house in stereo. And George was pretty reluctant to share some of the uh, events of the night, like I said, but it was it's kind of speculated that it's quite likely that he attacked them at some point in the night. See, some of that shit, dude, like like I, I want to say it was Jason versus Freddy, uh-huh. where I dreamt that. I, I would dream like I'm trying to run away from somebody and, and my feet would sink in the, 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 the ground. Quicksand. Yeah, quick no, it, no, it was like it was like I was walking or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not running, but I can't run, but but I was trying to get away and the cement would just you know melt or the street uh, would just melt dude that's a hor- horrific feeling it suck you in yeah <clears throat> so contrary to the fictional version the following day january 14th 1976 the lutzes did not flee the house immediately and said they sent their kids to school a couple was finally able to contact father ray who advised them to go and stay at kathy's mother's house for a while to clear their heads when the children returned home from school the family decided to leave However, as they were attempting to flee the home, the temperature started fluctuating rapidly. The walls began making a creaking sound like on a ship, and George claimed to have seen a gigantic white hooded demon pointing at him from the stairs. Finally, they all piled into the van, but it wouldn't start. George explained that this was a common problem that he fixed easily. It was nothing demonic. But while driving away, they heard pounding on the outside of the van, and the sounds lasted for several minutes, uh, I'm sorry, several miles on their way to Kathy's mother's house. The photos of the house uh, months later uh, still show the closets full, uh, the refrigerator heavily stocked, and the children's toys left behind. Pictures also revealed that the beds were made, which indicates that they did not immediately rush out of the home in the morning. Also, the family left the house with two days' worth of clothing each. Clothing each. So we're looking at a picture right here of Ed Warren looking into the home, uh, of the refrigerator, like in the basement of the home. There's a super uh, uh, seekers of the supernatural where he's like, a fellow wanted to take some food home with him, and I said, no, nah, you don't want to eat that. That's demon food. But he did it anyways. <laughs> he did it anyways. He said he got so terribly sick, he got food poisoning. I'm like, yeah, the fucking that's demon food. Hey, let a brother get some of them Fruit Loops. <laughs> he said the demon was in the food. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. If I see some Pop-Tarts, cinnamon cinnamon to Pop-Tarts, I'm taking those motherfuckers. (laughs) Ed's like, look, they got Pop-Tarts in here. (laughs) Strawberry, my favorite. Evil trans fats. (laughs) So once at Kathy's mother's house, George believes that whatever it was followed them. Kathy levitated while asleep again, and they still felt an evil presence, but they believe that being out of the house cleared their thoughts, and the force was much weaker away from the house. Strange things also continued to happen to Father Ray. Some of these incidents were witnessed by his superiors at the diocese, although they would never admit it publicly. George and Kathy were shocked to learn that Ronnie DeFeo Jr. had recently claimed in court 
that he heard voices in the house and wondered if there was some type of connection between what had happened to them and the murders of the DeFeos and if Ronnie was possibly provoked or possessed to kill his family. These questions made George and Kathy actively seek out Ronnie's lawyer, William Weber, and the Lutzes contend that their initial involvement with Weber was to find out all the information they could about the DeFeos and if DeFeo experienced any similar phenomenon as they had while in the home. So they met Weber at Kathy's mother's house in late January of 1976, and the Lutzes briefly described their story to Weber. The next time the couple met Weber, he arrived with Paul Hoffman, who introduced himself as a criminologist working on the DeFeo case, and Paul Burton, who was a lawyer, uh, a, law, a law partner of Weber's, I'm sorry. So the Lutzes recorded the meeting and recounted their experiences to the group, and the 45-minute tape recording was the first on record that the Lutzes would give. Like the Perrin family in our last episode, it was this time that George and Kathy learned the extent of each other's ex individual experiences in the home, as up until that point, they had not even known the magnitude of each family member's own terrifying ordeals. Also, based on the Lutz's story, William Weber was attempting to get Ronald DeFeo Jr. a new trial by claiming possession. So, interest in the Lutz's story grew and continued to garner national attention. Channel 5 News was determined to get the rights to the story, so they assigned their news assistant, Laura Didio, and anchorman Marvin Scott to cover it. Okay, that, that picture is old. So. That is an old picture. I, I don't care. I'd still love to give her the Butterfinger. <laughs> She's in the documentary of uh, My Amityville Horror. Yeah, she got old. A little bit. Yeah. Well, these, we all do. These, these got... Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got to be the 70s, dude. I mean, you yeah. know. Early she's 80s, she's yeah. what? She's in her 20s? Uh, Young. So by now, she's yeah. got to be 90s or 100s. No. So, uh... Her, <laughs> <laughs> so Didio and the Lutzes hit it off immediately, and she uh, gained their trust right from the start. Laura was the one who then contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren. So on March 6, 1976, the Warrens set out to investigate the house at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. Accompanying them were Marvin Scott, Laura Didio, and Steve, who was a cameraman. All, they were all with Channel 5 News right there. The Warrens' personal photographer, Dr. Alice Tannis, Mary Pascarella, psychic and director of, prom of a prominent psychic research group in New Haven. We talked about her also on the parent episode. Uh, the Brian, Dr. Brian Riley, who was a British parapsychologist, and his wife, Alberta Riley, who was a deep transmedium psychic, just like Lorraine. Uh, Dr. Carlos Osis from the American Society for Psychical Research, and uh, Jerry Salvin and George Kekaris and Keith Hooray, who were all field investigators from the Psychical Research Foundation in Durham, North Carolina. That was basically who uh, Father Ray uh, suggested that they call. Yeah. So now both the uh, American uh, Cyclical Foundation and, uh, and Psychical Research Foundation would conclude that there was nothing paranormal in the house. They further added that they would have they would have used scientific methods to measure any phenomenon had any been present and not the psychic methods of the Warrens. So the Warrens, on the other hand, believe that the DeFeos were in a state of phantom mania at the time of the murders, which in effect paralyzed them, making them unable to cry out for help. The Warrens, we've talked about this numerous times. It's like, you know the saying, like, you give somebody a hammer and everything looks like a nail? Well, you give the ha the Warrens a hammer and everything is possessed by a demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Well, despite being uh, an experienced paranormal investigator, Lorraine said that she was terrified before even entering the house and described her feelings when she received the call from Laura Dadio about the Amityville horror case as just having an odd feeling, being uncomfortable and feeling personally threatened. In fact, Lorraine felt so threatened that she called up a clergyman she knew and asked him to go into the house with her in spirit. A team of uh, psychics and reporters assembled, and they met at the house, like we said, on March 6th, 1976, just before nightfall. Ed and Lorraine met George and Kathleen Lutz at a pizza parlor near the house earlier to discuss the details of the investigation. So at the pizza place, George told the Warrens that Father Ray had warned them not to go back into the house because it would give the spirits recognition and bring them right back. And the Warrens naturally agreed with Father Ray's assessment. The Lutzes later traveled to the house with the others, but would not step foot on the property. Have you heard about that before? People not wanting to tell things because it might stir up some activity again? Yeah, makes sense. I I, I don't know. The first thought for me, man, is if I tell you and Mikey anything, even though we, we're doing this podcast and, and horror fans, man, do you really think you guys are going to sit there and believe me? Either gonna either gonna call call you know the medical people or, or or hit me with a bat. I don't know. Knock me out. I believe you if you told me it. Why not? I mean, just if you're not being a, you know deceptive. Yeah. Like, no. 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 I'm, I'm purposefully. Talking, no. I'm talking about especially if I had proof and I bring you over, Mikey. If okay, uh, my whole house, my whole house, every bit of furniture that would take at least three men to flip over. And it's turned over my house, and I show Sammy. Would you come over and see it? Sure. Would you believe it? Would you? Would you? Would you believe? Gotta would you it. believe? Would you believe, Mikey? I went to bed. I went out to start my car to come and meet you guys, and I came in and look what happened. Seeing is believing. Like, yeah. are, are you sure Vince wasn't over here? <laughs> <laughs> I know he owns that gym. He'd be lifting. Vinny bagging donuts. <laughs> well, bizarre things started occurring almost immediately after the group entered the house at 112 Ocean Avenue. An overwhelming impression of sadness was the group's general consensus throughout their research of the house. According to Laura Didio, the first strange thing that happened was that the Channel 5 cameraman, Steve, bent over clutching his chest once he reached the second floor landing and began complaining of stabbing chest pains. Psychic Mary Pascarella, was not, who was not familiar with the DeFeo case up to that point, that's what they all claimed, that they didn't know shit about the DeFeos, but they had to, yeah. wouldn't you think? Yeah, of course. Come on. Oh, so up until that point, but she claimed that uh, she had the overall impression of a male teenager in the house that had done something horrendous. The psychics felt even greater bad vibes from the house as they entered the second floor. The metaphoric scent of a brutal crime having occurred there was strong and fresh. Suddenly, Mary looked up at the window above and saw the face of a young girl looking in at her. Mary says that she heard uh, crying and weeping, but that she kept her cool and used her knowledge and training to summon the little girl towards the white light. So Lorraine was adamant that the spirits in the home were not just those of the murdered DeFeo family, but that of evil spirits from the bowels of hell, saying that they were not dealing with a haunting that's come about as a result of a tragedy of murderer, which was the DeFeo family. It's something that has the wisdom and cunning of the ages, and that's what caused this. When a person is open and vulnerable to his own psychosis and could accept that he could kill every member of his family, nobody's going to put up a fight and nobody's going to try to suppress themselves. So Lorraine said it's a mystery and a puzzle, but that's how cunning the devil can actually be. He'll outwit you. It was the same that had affected DeFeo and brought about the tragedy. It was just evil in the home. Evil. An evil home. Well, Lorraine uh, began seeing visions of several bodies lined up in the hall, all wearing white sheets. 
Mary Bascarella also began seeing something similar, claiming that she saw hooded figures that looked like monks. Mary became extremely frightened when she saw the monks close to the door behind them and began gawking at her. Lorraine received nonstop clear visual and clear audio messages, and they all had menacing demons in them. Lorraine also described a powerful force walking up the stairs, like a rush of water bouncing off her chest, holding her back. Lorraine continued up the stairs to the second floor and entered into the sewing room. Accompanying her was anchorman Marvin Scott. Suddenly, Lorraine stopped in her tracks, turned and looked at Marvin, who asked what was wrong. Lorraine responded with her famous line in dramatic fashion, I hope this is the hell as I'll ever get. Hope this is as close to hell as I'll ever get. Okay, that's a scary-ass statement, man. She had that one in her back pocket. Yeah, oh yeah, that was locked and loaded. <laughs> I don't care. It's still disturbing. Well, Lorena then entered Missy's room. She knew it was Missy's room by psychic interpretation. Uh, she also clairvoyantly made the assumption that Missy's room had the DeFeo's furniture in it. In other words, uh, the furniture in that room, uh, that bedroom, included and belonged to the DeFeo's. The only thing that was changed on the beds was the mattresses. Lorraine claimed that all the beds in the house had the same frame and box spring that the DeFeo's had been slaughtered on. And this is actually, I forgot to put that in there earlier, but yeah, the, George Lutz actually says that they purchased a lot of the DeFeo's furniniture wow. just because it was like, you know, it was at an auction or something, or it was yeah. on sale and they needed, you know, something cheap. DeFeo's had some good shit, you know? I guess so. <laughs> so Ed Warren had, had a strange feeling as well. He had usually relied on the clairvoyancy of Lorraine for indication, but something was drawing him into the basement. Ed separated from the group and traveled alone into the cellar. Once in the basement, Ed saw thousands of pinpoints of light that momentarily blinded him. When his eyesight slightly recovered, he saw shadows through the lights, and suddenly an unseen force lifted him off of his feet and sent him crashing to the ground. Ed's only recourse was to use his religious resistance to fight off the disturbing presence. He quickly began chanting Bible verses, commanding the demons to release their evil grip, and was over as quickly as it began. It was that moment that Ed realized that there was an evil presence in the house. Terrified because he had never experienced such an encounter, he rushed back upstairs and rejoined the others. So meanwhile, downstairs, Mary the Medium continued getting strong sensations, and she went into several deep trances. At one point, she opened up a bottle of holy water that she had packed and began sprinkling it around while chanting, Get thee behind me, Satan! Several times. As Mary began dousing the floor with holy water, she said you could hear it sizzling like water on a hot stove. Why would you want a demon behind you, Mikey? It's just an old, it's just a saying. Get thee behind me. I Get feel thee you. behind I, me, I, I feel you, bro. <laughs> so Lorraine describes that on the third floor, she clairvoyantly encountered Ronald DeFeo Sr., or an evil spirit that resembled him. This encounter was so awful, and he was so sinister, that she felt there was absolutely nothing she could do to help or eject this evil spirit from the house. Lorraine explained that their mission was to do research at the home, not really to rid the house of spirits. These spirits were almost also most certainly resistant to any type of religious intervention, by all accounts. So later that night, the group all gathered on the first floor, sometime after midnight, they decided to have a seance in order to summon the spirits and ask them what they wanted. Six members sat at the table for the ceremony, all holding hands. And the field it was a field investigator, George Kekaris, who was one of the people at the table. Uh, he was super skeptical of the group that had been assembled, saying that it was like a sideshow with self-styled psychics seeing spirits here and there. And that as Lorraine began to speak, he was not impressed. But suddenly, 
Kakaris felt his hands getting cold, sort of numb-like, he explained. Then he felt his hands sliding from the table. His teeth began chattering, and his heart started racing uncontrollably. Kakaris broke from the seance abruptly and was unaware of what happened to him. Um, his common sense told him to attribute it to nothing but the power of suggestion, he later said. You think you'd be having heart palpitations or you know you think you'd have possibly if you had if you had this happen to you if you weren't really sure if any what was going on would you attribute it to a demon okay the heart thing mm. the heart thing that's hard to say because uh, you know At obviously first, I'm no, wait. I, I just i'd probably go to the, see a doctor go to the hospital but the cold thing the cold thing sammy that would get me that would get me you know like, like freezing if cold you, if you're cold and hot and then tingling and blah blah okay that that that, that that's telling me something's there yeah, that you got bad circulation. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did take my blood pressure. Or you're having a stroke or something. <laughs> so, during this ghoulish ceremony, it was reported that one of the investigators actually passed out cold from fear. According to Lorraine, two of the investigators began complaining of severe heart palpitations, and Alberta Riley had become visibly upset during the seance. With her hands covering her face, she almost broke out into tears. Uh, she also said that whatever was there, it's something that comes at you and makes your heart speed up. Mary Pascarella became so ill that she had to be taken outside and never entered the house again. By the end of the investigation, Lorraine Warren was convinced that whatever was in the house never walked the face of the earth in human form. Jerry Solvin claimed that the that he felt nothing in the house, but admits that this uh, that his participation was informal and not for investigative purposes. He just he just liked to watch. See, this just you know what this just tells me the news guys were there, the 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 um, what you call it, the people that the the psychic people were there, and nothing. There was nothing really, you know. Well, the, what do you mean they, they had? A, I just they just said they had tons of shit happen that well, night. No, no, no. But you <laughs> said you said the hard problem. I mean, it, and the lady passed off from fear. Sammy, I know a lot of people that passed. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. I sent you, Mikey. Well, well, nothing scientific nothing has scientific, happened here. No, yeah. nothing scientific. <laughs> but I, but Mikey, I sent my wife right after uh, Sammy and I left. I sent my wife uh, the actual footage of. Um, of uh, that part in 31 where he says the line, there's nothing, you know, I'm not going to say. And she said she couldn't, she said, thanks a lot. Now I can't sleep the rest of the night. I mean, people, dude, people, when they get something. In I'm not crazy. I'm in control. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Break. Anyway, I sent it to her. That's awesome. I love it. Anyway, I showed it. Dude, she was really upset with me. She was really upset with me. I, dude, I want to see. like Doomhead? She, oh, she won't even. So, but here's my thing. Here's my thing. And this is what I meant, Sammy. I'm sorry. Because I have a bad bad way of um, coming across things. I want to see Sammy's face change. I want to see Mikey turn into a horned lizard. I want to see some fucked up shit. Mikey sprouts some wings. You know, and, you know, he's a gargoyle guy. And Sammy C is like a fucking demon dude. And I'm this big fucking... Mad Max fucking mongoloid mongoloid dude. That's what I want to see. Master Blaster. Master Master Blaster. <laughs> Who runs Mother Town? <laughs> no, no, you know what I mean? No, you know what I mean? Because like Sammy said, like Sammy said, all these people are are are, are older people. 
You know, your grandfather uh, so many times can't hold tools because the, the bad uh, circulation of his hands. That's all normal shit. That's because he's been electrocuted so many times, though. <laughs> but I want to. He see... told me that he got electrocuted once and his hand turned black. I was yeah. like, "That's not good." Yeah, yeah. I want to see Mike's. I want to see Mike's skin fall off and his hands like in like in. Uh, like in uh, Hellraiser movies, I want to see some cool <laughs> shit like that. I want to see the skin slough off your body, yeah, like. <laughs> yeah. So Alberta Riley was a distinguished and attractive English woman who had mm-hmm. practically spent her whole life as a psychic up to that point. Alberta had seen it all, but she was not ready for what she would experience in the spooked Long Island home. Alberta was deeply shaken by the experience in the Amityville house that night, saying that she saw things she never knew existed, things she never thought could exist in this universe. Alberta said that she was so shaken by what she had seen in the whorehouse that she quit the psychic profession right then and there, forever. So though nothing had happened for the TV cameras, two particular unexplainable instances materialized sometime after the first investigation of the house. Lorraine had brought a relic of the late Padre Pio de Pietrasina, I think is his name. We'll just call him Padre Pio with her for protection. The relic of Padre had been sent to Lorraine weeks earlier by a complete stranger. Uh, Padre Pio was a famous Italian priest who is best known for bearing all five stigmata-like wounds of Jesus Christ for 50 years. What were the five? It's uh, your f- your hands, your feet, and your dick? What was the other? Where, were the, where was the other stake driven through? <laughs> I, oh. Uh, he got a spear like, in the rib. Not my like, pee-pee. Spear in the rib, maybe up the butt? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting off track here. But anyways. I don't remember. So anyway, uh, yeah, this Padre Pio had the stigmata wounds for about 50 years. A lot of people claim that he was just doing it to himself, you know, kind of to become a famous priest again. Again, Mm -hmm. again, this could be all self-inflicted. Yep. That's what a lot of people think it was. So she claimed that no one uh, knew about the relic except for Ed, the relic that was sent to her, that is. Uh, Lorraine claims that she saw Father Ray after the seance, and he asked her who she thought was protecting her during that night. Lorraine responded that she guessed it was God, to which Father Ray informed her that it was Padre Pio, and Padre Pio uh, told him it was him. It came to him in spirit. It's a little woo-woo for me right there, you know? (laughs) About a week after the Warrens' visit to the house, they were uh, contacted by the photographer from that night, who showed them a blown-up photo from that night where a supposed image of Padre Pio's face had materialized on a moose head that was hanging on the wall of the house, Apparently, up until this time, no one involved in the case had known what P- Padre Pio looked like. <laughs> what do you think about this photo here? It's kind oh, of funny. I, yeah, <laughs> He's a, it's just, I, a, you know what? I think it's another case of, like we talked about, Peridola, where it's just you yeah. see something yeah, in the picture. Yeah. It's just the fucking moose. I mean, what do you call it? Antlers. Sammy, seriously, do I find it interesting? Now, okay. I would never have guessed that, but now with the red circle around yeah. it. Yeah, if you stared at it long enough, you could see a face, yes. a nose, yes. maybe a, a hand, hair, or like a, a hood. Mm-hmm. I, I can see it now. I, 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 a little bit, yeah. I've seen it. Once you see the one that I'm, like the picture next to it, which is like of Padre Pio that I put up there, it kind of looks like maybe someone kind of superimposed it, it almost, that It almost looks like an Abe Lincoln kind of thing, because look at the, the, his chin looks like more like a beard. But but again, 
do 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 I find that uh, any kind of uh, any kind of valid or truth into you know if if it's a valid thing or true to it? No, because I told you guys before. Man, I looked into my shower curtains. I see little skull heads. I see pictures. If you're looking he sees for it, little monkeys, you're gonna oh hello. You're gonna find <laughs> you see it. A three-eyed one. You're gonna find it, Mikey. You're gonna find shit and everything that How we about, look at. How uh, about the picture of the kid on the stairs? Oh yeah, we'll get to that in a second okay. here. But did you also notice anything weird in this picture? On the, another antler, there's apparently like I don't know. That's to a me, GI Joe head. Yeah, to me, it looks like either like a little hockey helmet or something no, like that. Oh, that's but, a GI Joe head with the karate yeah. karate action. You know for a fact, Sal just debunked this photo. People I know say that for it, a fact that that's a karate, that's a GI yeah. Joe head with a karate grip. What we're talking about right now is on another one of the moose's antlers. It looks like there's like a little Ronald DeFeo head up there. It's like it's exactly. got a beard. Uh, okay. I know. Yeah. Exactly so people what point to the. Is. They say that this is Ronald DeFeo, mm-hmm. or uh, you know. Yeah, they kind of stuck in the house. Dude, c- come on, Sam. I think it just if looks like was, someone someone stuck up there. Like, it, oh, this looks is, like Ronnie or something, is. you know? Mikey, Mikey, if somebody did that and you brought me to their house and said, Sal, look at this uh, dead uh, moose head and it's got a guy on the end of it. If I feel it and I don't think it's part of that tusk, I'm kicking your ass <laughs> to, for bringing me in, into that bullshit. Now I'm all aggravated. All right, well, the second bizarre uh, incident caught on film occurred when the group had set up a camera on a tripod on the second floor uh, facing Missy's bedroom that would snap pictures constantly throughout the night. A flash photograph was taken every few moments. George had the photographs cataloged by his secretary years later in California, who happened to be pregnant at the time. And every time she picked up one particular picture, the baby inside her jumped and kicked. That photo, when inspected closer, appears to show a little boy peering out from a doorway on the second floor. This is okay. This is a fucking metal picture. I think it's okay. fucking awesome. Again, is is it is it cool? Yeah, but anybody that knows photographic stuff knows that a lot, especially animals, their eyes are like that, especially with a cheap lens or a cheap camera. Well, actually, um, Kenny Biddle, remember we he did, we talked about him when he did the uh, the actual Conjuring House history mm-hmm. on that uh, mm-hmm. story. Uh, well, he did this, and he said, well, "He, if you put glasses on on infrared film, this is what will happen to it." Gotcha. Which is, it, this was infrared film here happening. Gotcha. But uh, some say the boy was one of the DeFeo boys. Right. But uh, the scariest aspect of the photo is that the little boy has glowing white eyes, which demonologists suggest is a common characteristic of a demon. The demon is simply taking the form of John DeFeo, the youngest DeFeo boy in this picture. That's the theory. What do you think yeah. about it? <laughs> yeah, or you know, at that time, I don't know if uh, people were really up on like you know superimposing pictures. Yeah, but it could be. Yeah, could so be what, fake. Yeah, when George Lutz asked Missy if she recognized the boy, Missy said that it was the boy who she used to play with at the house, mm-hmm. the little boy who asked for help. So despite the tale of the uh, unsettling discovery of the photo and the photo itself, some people on the Amityville Truth Board believe it could be simply a picture of one of the investigators working with the Warrens that night. His name was Paul Bartz. And I think in like this picture that I have right here, you can kind of see their glasses on his face, you know? The little yeah, boy. You yeah. can kind of see he has the same hair as Paul Bartz. Also, people say he has the same checkered shirt on. Hmm. So yeah, this uh, the theory states that Paul Bartz bears a resemblance to the ghost boy and is wearing, like I said, a similar shirt. Meanwhile, the ghostly glow that radiates from the eyes would be due to the infrared film on Paul's glasses. On the Amityville Truth Board, a member claims to have emailed Paul Bartz about being the possible person in the ghost boy picture, to which he claims to have received this response from Bartz. He said, I am the same Paul Bartz that took, play, uh, took part in the seance in the Amityville home some 32 years ago. 
The image in the photo you mentioned does resemble me, and I know that Ed, now deceased, and Lorraine went on record, including national TV, stating it was a ghost. Because I have great respect and admiration for them, I will say no more on the issue, allowing the legend of the most haunted house in America to continue. That certainly seems to me like he's saying it's bullshit, but I'm not going to say that it's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, it was fucking me in the picture. That's what I got from this. You know, you know, in all reality, I give a fuck about this. About this. It was a great movie. That's all I got to oh, say. the first one was. Yeah, it was. Classic. That's all I got to say. So if you've listened to any of our other Conjuring episodes, you might have sensed a pattern in the Warrens stories. Just like every other case, the Warrens claim that a demonic entity followed them home. Lorraine says that when they got home from the Amityville house, she opened a package that contained a book on Padre Pio, and they began reading when she noticed her two dogs acting like they were drugged, and also that the hair on the backs of their uh, on their backs were standing up. Suddenly, she was rendered motionless and couldn't move. A sound that she described as someone shaking big sheets of metal reverberated through the house. A cyclone of wind then picked up, and Lorraine saw a massive black figure in the doorway. She pray- prayed and demanded it go back to where it came from, and it disappeared. So, by the way, we were talking about earlier uh, Padre Pio. I forgot to mention, we were mentioning earlier that uh, Abel Ferrara is doing a, a remake or a, a movie about Padre Pio. Really? Great filmmaker. Yeah, it's going to be good, except I, I'm not sure because Shia LaBeouf is starring as Padre well, Pio. Yeah, that could Who ruin knows? it right there. Well, well, well all the info that, that we just went over today is, is fantastically written, but it's so unbelievable. I well, mean, I'm not, try, I'm, I'm not trying to be – I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying it's true or not true, but it's entertaining. I'll give you that. I just want to make it quite clear to everybody and our, and our listeners – Awesome story, awesome stuff that Sammy's got got Absolutely. on here. Absolutely, but but but. Uh, <laughs> well, do you do you believe that at the same time that the rain was being attacked, Ed said he was in the basement when a door slammed. He heard footsteps and a dark mass appeared to him. While the temperature sank to almost freezing, uh, Ed said he also heard and felt the wind. Ed says he could feel that this was not just a demon, but a devil. I'd like, I you know what, <laughs> I, this may sound sick, so, but I would like to believe that 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 mm-hmm. happened. So Ed grabbed a cross and some holy water. He threw the water at the black mass and commanded it to leave in the name of Jesus. Mm. And it did. Mm. So the Warrens weren't the only uh, ghost hunters to come out of the woodwork for the Amityville case. Dr. Hans Holzer is another famous Mm. parapsychologist that investigated the hauntings. Holzer contacted Ronnie DeFeo's lawyer, William Weber, and was hired by Weber to investigate the demonic angle. On January 13th, 1977, Weber Holzer, Laura Didio, and a deep transmedium named Ethel Johnson Myers investigated the house. Uh, just a side note real quick. Ethel was a former vaudevillian opera singer, and her control, which is the person who essentially uses her body to become a guide between the living and the dead, was her dead husband, a musician named Albert. Albert had died when his pharmacist had made a mistake with his medicine and poisoned him. Ethel was going to walk into the sea intent on suicide, but Albert came to her in a vision and stopped her. He warned her that if she killed herself, she wouldn't be with him, just the opposite, actually. He told her that there was another way they could be together, and Ethel went to a psychiatrist who put her in contact with the American Society for Cyclical Research, which eventually led her to becoming a medium. The transmedium's job was to go into a semi-trance state to connect uh, the spirit through a channeling session using a trained ear to listen to the spirit and communicate back to it. Laura Didio claims that Myers knew absolutely nothing about the house, its history, or the DeFeos, and that as soon as they pulled up to the house and she got out of the car, Myers said, quote, There's an Indian around here. Once they got inside the house, 
Didio claims that Myers developed an Adam's apple, began speaking in a strange gibberish language with her voice dropping several octaves. Myers began conversing with who she claimed was an Indian chief, claiming that the Indians resided on the property to protect an old burial ground and insisting that whoever lived in the DeFeo house was going to be the victim of the Indians' fierce anger. This is kind of the uh, what the remake takes on a little more, isn't it? The You know, the Ryan Reynolds one, I think, goes heavy on the Indian yeah. claim. Oh, I believe yeah. you're right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'll admit I hated myself for watching one with him, but it was... Eh. Like, this is my life. Yeah. <laughs> so after the seance, Hans Holzer developed the story that the house was only occupied by one Indian chief and not a demon or any of the DeFeo victims. Hans believed that the chief just wanted people to get off his land and that during the murders, no one awoke or heard the shots because of paranormal forces blocking the sound barrier in the house. Like the Warren said, it was phantomania. <laughs> so Holzer further theorized in his book, Murder in Amityville, that the spirit of a dead Indian chief possessed Ronald DeFeo Jr. and caused him to kill his family. Despite evidence pointing to the contrary, Holzer also claimed that the DeFeo house stood on an Indian burial ground he also stated that in the 1700s, some of the residents of the land practiced witchcraft. Well, in 1982, Amityville 2, The Possession, was released. The movie was loosely based on Holzer's book, Murder in Amityville. Instead of the DeFeos, the family portrayed in the film was called the Montellis. And even though the advertisement clearly gave the impression that the story was centered on the DeFeos, um, Ed, and Warren, uh, Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren also served as demonology advisors for the film. Do you guys know that? I think I, I did. I did know yeah. that. I did know that. Yeah, it's a, it's in the credits. I think it is. Is it? That's how I knew it. It was in the credits. Mm -hmm. Cool. So it should be pointed out that Holzer's contract with American International Productions, the studio producing the movie, had him agree to things that seemed to be highly suspect. As the owner of the book, The Murder in Amityville, Holzer stood to make a substantial amount of money from the movie adaptation. And part B of his six clause of the six clause of Holzer's agreement made it clear that Holzer could never make any public statements inconsistent with the theory of demonic possession of Ronnie DeFeo. So he could never say that there might have been some other reason that this happened. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll tell you with the scene, Mike, where James Brolin and I can't remember if it was his wife or him that found the book of the original killer and how much it looked like him, dude. <laughs> That fucked with me. Oh, that fucked with me with that, man. Yeah, so over uh, Ronnie DeFeo's objections, Holzer repeatedly insisted in his book that he had sexual intercourse with his sister Dawn in Murder in Amityville. Holzer wrote that Butch freely admitted that there had been a relationship between himself and his sister Dawn, despite their being brother and sister. Okay, that's fucking weird. Nowadays, Gross. I mean, back then, it was probably even weirder because it wasn't public knowledge. But now, th dude, there's all there's stories all the time of that happening incest. That's so yeah, on Pornhub. Oh god, <laughs> damn it! See, I didn't say it. My Why guess. is it so big? Hello. Yeah, that's stop it. it. It's like a, it's a genre of its, it's own. Weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The all the uh, incestual. Or I'm sorry, um, I forgot what incest was. porn. No, not that. Um, Oh, I yeah. can't remember. I got to look it up. Incest, I think you're looking for. No, no, <laughs> Stepmom? Gross. Uh, it's, it's, something wrong. It's, a, it's a title that's it's wrong that you're doing it. Oh, I can't think of it. <laughs> well, whatever. But, caution but, to my throat? Yeah, <laughs> caution to the back of my throat. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, so others believe the story to be a complete hoax originated by Ronnie's false admission in court that he was possessed by Satan, and when that he was, and that was further fabricated by the Lutz family and Ronnie's lawyer, who was William Weber, and Jay Anson, the author of the Amityville Horror. So the hoax theory was originally originated by vampirologist Stephen Kaplan, who was initially scheduled to investigate the house, but was fired by George Lutz before he had the chance to. This more than offended Kaplan, and he made a career out of trying to discredit the Lutzes and proponents of the haunting theory. So, however, a close look at Kaplan and his character reveals a motive for revenge, an obsession with the limelight, and a story of his own that was based on several contradictions and unsupported accusations. William Weber also had an axe to grind with the Lutzes after they turned down his proposal to publish their story in a book he was already working on before he met them. William Weber first claimed that the house was haunted and that he had proof. Later, Weber claimed uh, called dibs on the Lutzes' story, claiming that he, had, he and the Lutzes had made up the haunting story after several bottles of wine. However, Weber's sordid past and lack of credibility also taint this version of the events. So... Again, the basis of the hoax theories is that Jay Anson's book is a fabrication of the Lutz's story, and this is undoubtedly true, but it does not dispel the possibility that something supernatural actually happened there. Uh, funny thing, I didn't have it uh, actually written out in here, but there's another guy named Rick Moran who apparently went through the entire uh, uh, book, I, The Amityville Horror. I, I heard of that guy. He put together guy. more than a hundred inconsistencies yeah. in the book. Like they give you all the dates and everything. This guy looked up fucking weather reports. Oh, He's like, it wasn't raining when they said it was. There was no snow on the ground when they claimed that right. they saw footprints. Little thing called proof, in fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. who knows? Sammy. Oh, so that's the Amityville Lutz family haunting for you right there. I just wish everything Sammy just uh, looked up for us was some solid state proof. Because let me tell you something, that's some scary shit. Yeah, there what you go. It, we it, uh, we could have saved this for a whole other Amityville uh, series, but I figure why not take the six minutes that they actually cover in The Conjuring and turn it into a <laughs> fucking six-hour, two-episode thing. Well, you know? <laughs> I think they're going to get their own movie, a James Wan treatment the, of, of the... Amityville. I think that's eventually going to happen. All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find us on all the platforms there, Instagram, Facebook iTunes, Spotify, and uh, email us your ghost stories or email us your hate mail. Tell us that we suck. We don't care. We just want to hear from you. What's the email, Sam? Uh, horror at gmail.com. And keep listening. We got a whole bunch of ideas coming up uh, for, you know, summer into fall. We, I know we've been talking about it. Eventually, we're going to get around to it. Posters and previews. The history of horror movies, posters and previews. Can't wait, yeah. Michael. Can't wait. We're doing that one. We're going to do... And uh, the, the irony is not lost on us. We know that's a visual medium, so we're going to be <laughs> yeah. trying to hook it up, you know, uh, maybe YouTube. I know Spotify. We can do a yeah. video uh, yeah. Yeah. video cast yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. so we'll, uh, we'll let you know. Because, Sammy, I, I, some, of, some of the research I did, I have to bring it over here, and, and you have to put some kind of thing together for me with that. Nope. And we're going to take... Uh, <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're we're going to take breaks here and there on the horror and cover uh, the films of Alexander Payne, who made some dark comedies, and uh, little breaks here and there, but uh, we got more Conjuring. We got more Warrants coming up for you. We're going to do La Llorona, um, The oh, Nun. We, got, we have more about the the warrens and the conjuring coming up so thank you for listening yeah the ne- uh, probably in the next eight months we'll finish up on the, uh, the conjuring <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to cover so thanks again folks and we'll see you soon bye later bye.